This podcast of the Equine Forum is brought to you by the University of Louisville Equine Industry Program at the College of Business. It all begins in 15 seconds right after this word from our podcast sponsor. The University of Louisville Equine Industry Program at the College of Business is now offering a graduate certificate, which can be completed in 15 or 30 weeks and be done as a standalone or used as 20% of your MBA. Classes at both the undergraduate and graduate level are forming now for August. This is HRRN, Horse Racing's Voice. But there's one for long to go. Two fills fights on, but Mage has taken the lead. Angel of Empires are rallying third. Time is running out to catch Mage. Mage digs down deep, urged onto the wire, onto the wire to win the Derby. And head-to-head with a furlong left to go. Mage has to quicken up from third. Blazing Sevens, National Treasure, National Treasure fighting back on the inside. Blazing Sevens on the outside. Blazing Sevens, National Treasure. Oh, what a preakness. It's National Treasure who gets the lead late. Welcome to the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires. It is Archangelo with the lead. Archangelo in front, trying to hold on for the final 50 yards. And it's Archangelo to win the test of the champion. It is Archangelo, and it is a monumental victory. Here comes Cody's Wish, the one Southern National Treasure. Cody's Wish takes the lead. Cody's Wish and National Treasure coming down to the line. Fighting back National Treasure. Oh, Cody's Wish. Cody's Wish. I think he won it by a nose on the wire. Now, here's Mike Penna. A look back at some of the top moments of 2023, and there were plenty of others, and I'm going to spend a lot of time over the next three hours looking back on some of those moments. You're going to hear from the people involved in the calls of the races you just heard. We'll do that, but first of all, good morning, and once again, welcome to the Equine Forum, the show that launched a network. It is indeed post time, and this show all presented every week by our friends at Twin Spires and all right here on the Horse Racing Radio Network. Mike Penna, Baron of the Backstretch, with you right up until 11 a.m. Eastern on Sirius 162, XM 207, our affiliates in Lexington, Louisville, and across the country, and streaming worldwide and podcast on our website, horseracingradio.net, or wherever you are accessing your podcast. Well, a bit of a different show. Christmas Eve tomorrow, Christmas Day on Monday, and I thought we would take the weekend off, if you will, and look back on a best of HRN, at least in my opinion anyway, some of my favorite storylines, some of my favorite interviews that we brought your way throughout the year here in 2023. I think you're really going to enjoy this show. Going to kick it off with Jenna Antonucci. You're going to hear from her. She joined me back on June 17th, and she looked back on that historic win in the Belmont Stakes. It was a really fun interview. Going to bring you Unsung Heroes, and Unsung Heroes coming your way at 835. And when I get to that segment, you're going to hear from David Pope, who brings you the heartwarming story of his life and some of the things he's gone through, which led him to be the White Horse Award recipient here in 2023. You're going to hear from Major League Baseball players Rob Murphy and Alex Bregman. They join me for an interview on our Breeders' Cup morning edition of this program, Slider and No Name Mets. Two horses they own squaring off in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf Sprint. I think you'll enjoy that conversation at 8.45. 9 o'clock, you'll hear from the man who won the Kentucky Derby aboard Mage. That is Hall of Famer Javier Castellano. Of course, as we know, he capped it off with a big win in the Belmont as well, taking two-thirds of the Triple Crown. But the 
Derby was Javier's first Derby win after many, many, many tries. It was so great to see him break through that conversation at 9 o'clock. At 9.20, John Sheriffs looks back on the great Zinata. that interview from our Breeders' Cup morning show as well. And then at 9.35, Steve Lehman, the owner of Goodnight Olive, joined me for an interview on June 17th, right before she began her 2023 campaign, which resulted in a second consecutive win in the Philly Amare Sprint. Hour 3 begins with the Twin Spires triple play. Joe Christofek, Scott Shapiro talk betting strategies. Kurt Becker takes you on his weekly stroll through racing history. And at 10.30, Dale and Tim... A look back at our conversation after the Breeders' Cup as they talked about many of the storylines coming out of that huge event here in 2023. All of that coming up on the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires on HRRN, Horse Racing's Voice. This is HRRN, Horse Racing's Voice. Race the Twin Spires, where you can unlock a $25 risk-free bet. Just use the code HRRN25 when you sign up. And if your first bet doesn't win, Twin Spires will refund your account up to $25. Wagering on the app is fast with free pass performances, insider picks, and power plays every day you wager. Twin Spires. Download the app today to earn your $25 risk-free bet. Void where prohibited. For terms and conditions, visit TwinSpires.com. Must be 18 or older, 21 and older where applicable. For help with a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Horse of the Year candidate, Elite Power. Southeast Warrior makes his move on the outside. Elite Power on the front side. And Elite Power gets up to win the sprint. Elite Power is moving clear. And going to take the rear turn sprint by a widening margin. Five high volume hitting at 875,000. Standing at Judmont. There are plenty of thrills at Gulfstream Park with live thoroughbred action Friday through Sunday and simulcasting seven days a week. Join us on track for weekend stakes races, dine trackside in 10 ponds with an elevated view of the track, and grab a cool cocktail in the Carousel Club. For reservations, tickets, and more, head to GulfstreamPark.com. The best son of leading sire Munnings, Jack Christopher showed he was an exceptional talent early, winning the Grade 1 Champagne Stakes with a 102 buyer. At 3, Jack Christopher racked up wins in the Grade 2 Pat Day Mile, the Grade 1 Woody Stevens winning by 10 lengths, and proved much the best in the Grade 1 H. Allen Jerkins. With his pedigree and outstanding physique, Jack Christopher represents fantastic value with his foals arriving in 2024. Call the team at Ashford today to book your mare. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. The field is in the stretch in the Belmont Stakes, and Archangelo has now taken over. Archangelo is in front. National Treasure back running in second. Then Hitcho, Tampa Trice, Forte, and Angel of Empire. It is Archangelo with the lead. Archangelo in front, trying to hold on for the final 50 yards, and it's Archangelo to win the test of the champion. It is Archangelo, and it is a monumental victory for trainer Jenna Antonucci. And what a month for jockey Javier Castellano. He won his first derby with Mage. He wins his first Belmont Stakes with Archangelo. Welcome back to the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires. John Embriel summing it up perfectly at the end of his call of the 155th Test of the Champion last Saturday. Archangelo catapulting Jenna Antonucci and Javier Castellano into the record books. 
Jenna Antonucci becoming the first female trainer to saddle the winner of a Triple Crown race. And as you heard him say, Javier Castellano, what a five weeks for him. Wins his first derby, then comes back and takes his first Belmont Stakes with two horses that weren't really on many people's radars early in the season. So congratulations to both of them. Jenna took time this week to visit with me for a full hour. And the entire conversation is going to air coming up on Wednesday at 6 Eastern on my trainer talk show, which is presented by Fasic Tipton every week. And she gets into a lot of different things with me, including talking about how she first became interested in horses and got started down this path. She talks about some of the other things that maybe she considered doing along the way, but kept always coming back to the horses. But it was it wasn't always about thoroughbreds for her. And she tells the full story for that hour-long visit coming up on Wednesday. Do not miss it. Put a reminder in your phone. Mark your calendar. Get ready. 6 Eastern, a full hour with Jenna Antonucci on Trainer Talk. But I thought I would pull out a 13- or 14-minute excerpt from that visit with her looking back on the win. I thought it was appropriate for this morning. It'll give you a little taste of what you can expect in that conversation on Wednesday. She was fantastic. Jenna Antonucci, the first female trainer, to saddle the winner of a Triple Crown race. Following your first greatest stakes win with Dr. J-Dub in the 2016 Turf Monster at Parks, you were quoted in Blood Horses saying, it's kind of hard to really put into words. So how do you put into words what it's like to have now won the Belmont Stakes? Yeah, it's, you know, totally... You know, so different. I mean, they're both so unique. Um, you know, where, where his story was taking a an eight claimer and him turning into a graded stake horse, and you know, this is taking a you know such a unique animal and just a cool horse to develop from before racing to to make such a historic win. It's they just kind of have their each of their own little special boxes with me for sure, and um, it's been hard to. I don't have an exact bow to put around it, but like I said, I, it would be a blue bow that I would put around it. Yeah, you also went on to say that it's pretty cool to watch a horse come into your program and watch him change in front of your eyes and buy into the program and buy into you as a person mm-hmm. and trust and believe in you. Did mm-hmm. you see those those same things in that same scenario unfold with Archangelo? I know he wasn't a claiming horse, and I know he wasn't new to your program, but did you see that mm-hmm. same development yeah, I mean, there were threads of the same development. I mean, I think with the other horse, it was him learning to trust again and believe in the people around him where we've been so careful not to break that trust um, with this and all horses that come to us from the beginning. So um, just watching him just continue to trust and lean in and um, and give us everything he has and just, you know, it's just hard to put that into words of what a gift um, that is. And most horsemen will understand what I mean by that. Take me back to June 10th. Put me there with you at Belmont Park. Fox caught you on their television broadcast perfectly uh, as the horse was crossing the finish line. The raw emotion, you were just overcome, and it was fantastic to see. Put me there with you. What was the moment like? Um, It's a little over the top, and I acknowledge that. (laughs) Um, But, um, you know, I think part of it was just the buildup of, you know, Javier sat a smart trip. Um, our intention was never to go up the, up the rail. Um, we didn't expect that in in any capacity. And we have, you know, we had absolutely leaned into, he would likely be going around horses and trying to get the early jump on them. And, um, 
my sheer, are you kidding me? Start of that was watching him be able to come up the rail. And when I'm yelling at him, like to, to put him in there and to, you know, get, you know, ask him, it was just cause one, you don't want that hole to close again. Once, you know, obviously once Johnny knew who it was, he didn't know. I don't believe who was, he knew someone was back there, but didn't know who it was. And he rode a very smart race and doing what he was supposed to do with Fanning, who was on his outside. Um, and so, you know, watching that hole sitting there, it was like, Oh my God, get in there. And then, Oh my God, we got in there. And then it was like, okay, we're going because we knew we wanted to get a jump on the field. And so like watching a plan actually like come together and this stage and, and that race with this horse and just all of it was just, you've got to be kidding me was just really that moment. And then, you know, knowing this horse has such a sustained run for, I think longer than most of the others do. That was the, the premise of, you know, let's get the jump on them. They're going to have to come and, and catch us if they can. Um, and then Javier's, you know, tactical riding late, put him out in the middle of the track and they'll have to go around me if they're going to try and pass me kind of thing. And um, it just was crazy just to, and then, you know, that last 50 yards when, you know, they're not going to pass you, you just, it's, it just flows over you with the, you know, holy crap, this is actually happening you know, kind of thing. And we just did this, this team did this, this horse did this. And just, it's, it's just, it all hits you like, you know, a Mack truck in, in that moment. Yeah. You clean that up beautifully for national radio here. I don't think the word you used was crap when the cameras caught you. <laughs> it was my favorite part of the whole celebration. I said, that is so perfect. <laughs> it was so great. You know, and you're right. The moment just, I guess, just comes over you. And for those of us, myself included, who have never had the opportunity to experience that feeling as a trainer, an owner, jockey, whatever the case may be, um, it, it just has to be so incredible to watch your horse in any race, but certainly a race like that with the Belmont Stakes and so much history on the line, show up and do his thing the way you hoped he would. Yeah, I mean, absolutely so proud um, of the horse and his honesty and just, so happy and proud for the team that puts so much into this. And, um, you know, not that we never believe in the team or our horses, but to be able to show the world um, what we do and how we do it and just how much we appreciate the horse, him and every horse in our, in our hands was just such a gift. We spent some time visiting that morning, the morning of the Belmont Stakes, and we talked about your team, Fiona Goodwin, who is your assistant, Robert Malari, who is your exercise rider and the husband of Fiona and Giovanni Flores, the groom. And, and you mm -hmm. started to kind of get into a little bit of detail about how they play into your operation. We have more time here today. Give them the credit they deserve, Jenna. Um, Fiona and I have been together over a decade. Um, and, and she and Robert both come with an extensive, you know, history of, in the industry and have worked some, for some phenomenal horsemen. And, you know, I've long said like they, them staying with me was, has been a choice. It's not like they didn't have the ability and absolute skill set to go work for anybody. And so I'm grateful for, for that loyalty in life and in this industry, finding that is, is truly special. And so I'm so thankful that they had the opportunity to have another great big horse and in, in their careers um, that has meant so much to them. Robert um, was a jockey way long time ago and, you know, he's, just such a big part of this horse and just knowing how this horse feels and what, if anything isn't right, or if he's a little flat or not. And just, I, I have to give Robert a lot of credit. He has had the utmost confidence and 
Um, we always tell him to stop because he's going to jinx it. Um, just, you know, no one's going to beat this horse today. No one's going to beat this horse today. And <laughs> those kind of vibes when, you, when you're putting that out there, you know, those are the things that the horse feels and feels your confidence. And, um, and so, you know, Fiona is a phenomenal horsewoman, originally from Ireland, comes from a huge um, horse family, a lot of show jumping, um, with a lot of success in, in that avenue, in that whole realm of horses and so just has a really great foundation to see the horse feel the horse you know and it has been enough programs to know what she liked and didn't and so you know in our daily conversations of talking about where these horses are and where we need to go and you know there's sometimes where she's like I, I would like to give this horse an extra day or this one an extra day and it's like you know we can talk about the reasons of why and you know if it's me saying that's not a good enough reason. We need to lean in and do this and here's why. And there's a compromise on that throughout. Um, and so that's instrumental um, in her attention to detail and her sheer love of the animal and that communication just wide open. And she knows, I mean, I like hearing some of the things sometimes, but I'm going to hear them and respect where she's coming from and we'll find the right answer for the horses. Um, you know, same with Robert. I'm a big one. I want feedback from people that are on their backs. If they don't know exactly what they're feeling, but they know they're feeling something that's fine. Me riding for so long, I can see most of it. Um, and so I'm able to ask them, well, this is what I'm seeing. Is that what you're feeling? And help them put into words what they may not be able to. Um, and so that's invaluable, I think, for what we do and how we approach training. And um, Giovanni is he started with me 10 years ago. I literally hate saying that because it means that I'm 10 years older, but <laughs> he, um, he started with us as a hot walker. His mom was my forewoman when we were in New York full time and has grown through these years and is just such a kind, quiet soul and loves, just loves his horses. I and mean, even Archangelo, when he uses them as a chew toy, he'll literally still like when he's, if he's, Archangelo's a big sleeper. He lays down all the time. And so he'll be in there like laying with him or playing with him and, and those kinds of things. And it's invaluable. And, and Saturday meant so much to him. His mom actually um, was our hot walker during the race. So for me, it's just such a full circle moment and so thrilled for their family to be able to experience something like that um, is just very special and stuff you can't write. And so um, he was quite emotional, which was so cool um, that it meant so much to him. And he was so proud. And those are intangible things of our day-to-day things that, you know, I'm telling him, thank you. And he's like, no, thank you. And so it was just, just proud of him and how he's grown and the horseman that he has become um, through this journey in our stable. And again, that loyalty and feeling safe in our program and growing through our program. And then, um, a little sidebar, um, Bernice, um, who is one of the main outriders at Naira now, is family to um, Giovanni and Rosie through marriage. And she actually learned how to gallop with me when we were in New York full time. So to watch her grow her career the way that she has to become an outrider and be part of it and just going crazy when we won and was thrilled she got in the win picture with us is, you know, it's, treat people right. And you hope that in the future, everything has a way of being able to repay them um, for their loyalty and for believing. And it's, it's just wonderful from a human side and sometimes what's bigger than racing side. I'm so glad you talked about that, Jenna, because it was going to be my next question, you know, and, 
in any sport when you accomplish when you win a championship or accomplish something great, just as you have here in thoroughbred racing, one of the great joys is being able to celebrate it with your teammates, those who have been through thick and thin with you and have seen the highs and the lows and battled through everything to get to that point. And you just went through your team, which is a beautiful thing. I was going to ask you what it was like for you to see the joy on their faces, but I think you outlined it perfectly, especially with Giovanni. What, what a special story. It, it is, and it's it's the um, it's it's not something that can be monetized. And I'm I'm a huge one on, and I had mentioned this the other day. Of I have such gratitude for what everyone brings to the table. Not even just in my barn, from the starting gate crew to you know people that take care of the bleachers in the front and the front side to security to you know all the unsung and unspoken of parts that come into this. Um, and so it's, it's, it was a lot of enjoyment to be kind of back up at Belmont for a bit of an extended stay and see some of these people I hadn't seen in several years, just cause we were coming in and out and, um, appreciate their friendship because there was, there was never, a, I can't talk to you because you do this. That's just not who I am and not how I'm wired. And, and I appreciated their, you know, excitement for us and our team and, in accomplishing this victory and, and, Again, it's such an invaluable um, piece of gratitude that I have towards just the best in human nature. Jenna, I know that most female trainers, when I talk to them uh, about being a female in a male-dominated profession, they will say, yeah, I have to work hard, uh, just like anybody. But they look at themselves as as being trainers, not a female trainer, a male trainer. It doesn't matter. Uh, it, but is there a sense of pride that goes into this? You blazed your own trail. You've now created a category in thoroughbred racing history that never existed. There has to be a sense of pride here for you. It's a, it's a, it's a thing. (laughs) It's something that I'm working on trying to get comfortable with. I am a bit of a behind the scenes person. I like the horses to do the talking. I like my, to be behind my staff to give them opportunity to enjoy an experience. And so this has been obviously a kick in the butt to not be behind there. And so I'm not struggling. I'm, I'm trying to navigate my footing on that. Um, I am certainly grateful and proud to carry that flag. And it, yes, I'm the same way. I'm not a huge, and I said this on the ABR um, film that we did, I'm not a huge woman forward thing of victimhood of, mm-hmm. oh, I'm a woman, so it's this, and I'm a woman, so it's that. And it, I, I happen to be a woman and I happen to train resources. And I very clearly logically understand what we've accomplished. And I am beyond, I will never be able to put in the appropriate words um, how grateful I am for that. And as I've stated, to be able to have a little bitty platform to potentially help others um, with their journey is a gift. And I, mean, I will do my best to steward that and to help create opportunity for people um, and for women that are, you know, pulling their time in and working hard just like just like I do and we do and I, I am a big one on I don't care what your gender is and what you do just do it exceptionally well that's Jenna Antonucci my thanks to Jenna for spending that time again she spent a full hour with me and you'll hear that entire conversation coming up on Wednesday at 6 Eastern with our trainer talk show presented by Fasic Tipton um, what an ambassador for the sport Jenna Antonucci has been and is going to continue to be. The only thing that changes is that now she's in the spotlight where 
you heard her talk about being a bit introverted. That's not a position she typically is comfortable with, but she's going to make every effort to be more comfortable in that position. And I think with a horse like Archangelo, you're going to hear a lot more from Jenna Antonucci throughout 2023 and beyond. And again, that full conversation coming up 6 Eastern on Wednesday right here on Sirius 216 XM 204 and streaming worldwide on our website at horseracingradio.net. This is the Equine Forum presented by Twin Spires on HRRN. You're listening to HRRN, Horse Racing's Voice. Race to Twin Spires, where you can unlock a $25 risk-free bet. Just use the code HRRN25 when you sign up. And if your first bet doesn't win, Twin Spires will refund your account up to $25. Wagering on the app is fast with free past performances, insider picks, and power plays every day you wager. Twin Spires. Download the app today to earn your $25 risk-free bet. Void were prohibited. For terms and conditions, visit TwinSpires.com. Must be 18 or older, 21 and older where applicable. For help with a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. The 2024 Stallion roster at Adina Springs North offers exciting opportunities for breeders. Tap into the famed Leafard's Delta family with American Guru, a winner over a mile on turf in 132.09. His sire produced classic winners Empire Maker, Grindstone, and Red Bullet, and his first runners are on track in 2024. Shaman Ghost is Ghost Sapper's best son, a multiple grade one winner of $3.8 million. His first crop of Ontario sired runners start in 2024. Adina Stallion's silent name is the only son of Sunday Silence at Stud in North America and Canada's champion sire three years in a row. Signature Red is the only son of Bernstein at Stud in Canada and the best value stud in the country. And Dynaformer's heir, Point of Entry, is Canada's number one sire by progeny earnings, turf sired, and average earnings per runner on turf in 2023. Learn more at adinastallions.com. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. Heroes in the world of sports are not uncommon. Oftentimes, thrusting themselves into the limelight through unimaginable feats. Back behind the ball, Woods, Hudson. Get in! He has done it! Tiger is back! Tiger is back on top! Tiger Woods, the 2019 Masters Champion. And breathtaking performances. Here's how you count to eight, three, two, one. And for the eighth time, college basketball's national championship trophy is coming home to Kentucky. But behind every great hero, there are others. Individuals who play a crucial role in the achievements of those we read about in the headlines. The ultimate team players, content to stand behind the curtain, embracing their place as a vital part of a sport's success. In horse racing, these are the unsung heroes. Well, the Racetrack Chaplaincy of America has an award called the White Horse Award that they have been giving out since 2003. And the 21st Annual White Horse Awards are going to take place this year And in the beginning of the press release they sent out this week, it says a hero is a person admired for courage, outstanding achievements, or noble qualities. There are heroes throughout the horse racing industry, and the Racetrack Chaplaincy of America recognizes some of these selfless servants annually through the White Horse Awards. 
sums it up beautifully. And this year's recipient is David Pope of Siena Farm for an incredibly selfless act. David donated a kidney to a total stranger, saved his life, and he is with me now as this week's unsung hero. David, good morning, my friend. Good morning, Mike. Happy to have you on board and really excited to hear this story. This is such a wonderful, positive story. And at a time when people are you know, counting their blessings and thanking the Lord for everything that they've been given in their lives, my goodness, what a gift you were able to give, my friend. Well, thank you very much. Tell and me the story. Truly... Take me back to the beginning. So, um, you know, in January of 2022, you know, one night— I said a little prayer, you know, I was trying to find a way to, you know, build my faith a little bit, the connection I have with God, and I asked God what I could do for him, and I, I wanted to do something meaningful, so I said, hey, take me outside my comfort zone, you know, let me do something outside my comfort zone for you. And the next day when I'm going through Facebook and I seen Matt Cook's post about his friend needing a kidney donation, it kind of blew me away. Um, I was like oh, crap, you know, is this really what I'm praying for? And uh, honestly, I looked at that post probably five times before I said, well, let's go ahead and put my name in. You know, what's the chances that I'm really going to be a match? But let's go ahead. There's something I need to find out by doing this. So I submitted my name, and uh, I heard back from Tampa General, and they told me, you know, hey, Everything looks good in your application, but you weigh a little too much. You need to get your weight down so you're within the acceptable limits to donate. But, you know, once you do that, go ahead and give us a call back if you're still interested in doing it. And, you know, like anybody, when you start saying, oh, you know, let me go to the gym and work out and lose some weight, it takes it takes some time. But I finally accomplished that, and I reached back out to Tampa, and I'm like, hey, let's, let's take this to the next step. What, what do you need from me? And so, you know, at that point, I was just submitting like a, my most current blood test to make sure everything looked good, and it did. And so they uh, they set, set me up an appointment with LabCorp where I had to go in and do like eight vials of blood so they can conduct all the testing to make sure everything is good to do a donation. And uh, the first time I did that, they didn't quite have enough blood because I'd recently had been uh, – had a cold, so I had to do it again. And finally, in April, they called me up. It was actually Easter week. It was Thursday of Easter week. And they said, Dave, you are a match. You can do. You can donate your kidney if you want to do that. It's mm. up to you, but you can do it. There's still some more testing you need to do, but if you want to go forward – it's probably time you contact Chris. And, uh, you know, at that point, and I've seen the post in January. I had not said anything to Matt about it. I, I never, you know, had reached out to Chris or anything. I, I, I stayed in the background because what was the chances it's going to be a match? And I don't want to be that guy say, hey, look what I'm going to do if I couldn't do something. Mm -hmm. So um, I contacted Matt and explain to him what was going on, and I think it, he was uh, quite blown away by it, too. And uh, he gave me Chris's number, so, you know, that weekend, Easter weekend, I called Chris and uh, introduced myself. And, uh, 
you know, explain, hey, I still have some more testing to do, but it looks like I, I'm a match. And uh, if you're good with it, I'd like to give you a kidney. So uh, that that started a wonderful journey for me. Yeah, it it's an amazing. incredible, incredible story. And Matt, by the way, for folks that don't know who we're referring to, Matt is the manager at Shawan Place Farm. Uh, he learned that a friend of his, and a fellow Marine, by the way, that he had served with, Chris Kilpatrick, was in desperate need of a kidney transplant. And then when Matt made the post on Facebook, that's what led David to see it, and then that got this entire ball rolling. When you had the conversation with Chris Kilpatrick, when he, when you made the call to him, what was the conversation like? I'm, I'm sure it was emotional. Uh, you know, it was kind of like, um, you know, he. I don't think he quite understood what I was saying. You know, he didn't know I was in a process. And if you can imagine somebody out of the blue calling you up that you don't know and saying, hey, I heard you had a kidney. You had needed a kidney, and I, I've got one I want to give you. Uh, you know, I think he was kind of in shock. Yeah. So it, it was it was a nice conversation, but it was a sort of a short conversation. And, you know, at that point, I still needed to do more thorough medical testing. And, you know, that's the one thing I learned about the, the organ transplants. You know, there's a team of people that are on my side that make sure everything I do is going to be safe for me. So if you're ever in this process, know that people are looking out for your best interest. And they'll make sure that when you do something like this, that you're not putting yourself in harm's way. The operation was a success. You're doing yep. well, David, and doing Chris well. is doing very well from what I understand. Yes. How much interaction have you had with him since the, the procedure? Well, we uh, we probably check in with each other oh, every month and maybe every other month just to see how we're doing. You know, one thing I asked Chris for uh, when I did this uh, surgery, I asked him, I said, you know, my one request is that when we get post-surgery, when we're both recovered and we have a successful uh, result, let's get together and go to a Tampa Bay Rays game and just celebrate the surgery. So we did go this year, I believe it was June 24th, uh, to watch the Devil Rays play. Wow. Why the Tampa Bay Rays? He is a big fan of the Rays, and that's one thing in his post that he was talking about. He was a lifelong fan of Tampa. I love baseball. I love visiting different stadiums around the country, and I've never been to Tampa, so I was game. Talking with David Pope, uh, a true unsung hero from Siena Farm, and selflessly, selflessly donating that kidney to a complete stranger. He is the recipient of this year's Racetrack Chaplaincy of America White Horse Award. When you got the call that you were going to receive that award, David, what was that like? A very special, you know, uh, Bob Clark was the person who nominated me for it. And Bob's become a good friend since, uh, all this has happened. You know, he's, we've had lunch together. He's a wonderful guy. Um, it meant a lot to me that he did that. You know, he knows me from some other experiences. Uh, so it was really, I'm really proud that he did that for me. You know, this has been a, a difficult year for Sienna farm with, the owner, Anthony Manganero, passing away. Um, it, just take me through what these past several months have been like for you. It it has to be a roller coaster. It has. Well, actually, I retired from Siena in April. Yep. And I have went to work as a part-time senior consultant with mm -hmm. Dean Dorden. 
Yep. I'm part of their AFO uh, equine accounting team, and uh, I've relocated to Canton, Ohio. So this year I'm able to spend a lot of time with my mom and dad. They're both uh, up there in years, and uh, they definitely can benefit, and I can benefit by being closer to them. So, yeah, you know, going through the process of moving, changing jobs, and then with Anthony's passing, it was a roller coaster of a summer. And then another former uh, uh, boss of mine, Burton Jones, I worked at Airdrie Stud for 12 years. And with his passing, it was another, you know, one of those uh, gut punches. But, um, you know, life goes on. And uh, there's some, they did amazing things and made good examples for me to follow. And uh, I would like to thank both those gentlemen had a positive impact on things I do in life, the choices I make. Well, and you made a wonderful choice here, and you have had an incredibly positive impact on the life of Chris Kilpatrick. And, and uh, David, you're a true unsung hero. There's no doubt about it. And I really, really appreciate you taking some time here this morning to tell this story. Um, enjoy that White, White Horse Award ceremony. It is well-deserved. By the way, my good friend Dan Fick is going to receive the RTCA Community Service Award uh, wow. Dan's been a, a wonderful um, ambassador for the industry and for the chaplaincy for many, many years. Um, just don't play racquetball with him. You can't beat him. The guy's too good. <laughs> but other than that, he's a wonderful person. Well, I hope that uh, if any of your listeners ever are in a situation where they're contemplating uh, organ donation, that they would contact me because, you know, when I'm going through the process and I talk to donors that had done this, it made me much more comfortable with my decisions, and I'm more than happy to uh, get into the details with uh, anybody who's ever wanted to do something similar to this. David, really appreciate it, my friend. Uh, all the best you, to you moving forward, and um, congratulations on being named this, this week's Unsung Hero. Thank you very much. All right, David Pope here on HRN. What a story, huh? That is what it's all about. That's the good stuff right there, um, and a true unsung hero in the sport of thoroughbred racing. This segment brought to you every week by our friends at Woodbine. I'm back in 30 seconds after this word from Woodbine. The thrill of world-class racing now at Toronto's Woodbine Racetrack. Kick off the weekend's action now with racing each Friday, Saturday, and Sunday beginning at 1.05 p.m. Eastern. With more than 64 million in purses this season, you'll enjoy world-class racing and training facilities with the top turf racing in North America over the prestigious E.P. Taylor Turf Course. You won't want to miss racing at Woodbine. For wagering updates, handicapping tips, racing news, and more, visit woodbine.com. The National HBPA is continuously working to protect the health and welfare of horses by advocating and funding research to help reduce equine injuries, lobbying for a national testing lab to oversee and establish absolute uniform laboratory protocols, advocating for every track to undergo an annual independent surface assessment, passionately supporting off-the-track thoroughbred retirement facilities and adoption groups, and so much more. See additional HBPA initiatives at nationalhbpa.com. Fans don't miss opening day the day after Christmas at spectacular Santa Anita. Come early for our classic meet opener on Tuesday, December 26th with first post time at 11 a.m. and admission gates will open at 9 a.m. As always, our traditional wall calendar is free of charge with paid admission and you can also get a Mathis Home plush toy horse with a $10 donation that will go to Karma to benefit retired racehorses. Join us for an unforgettable day of world-class racing with six graded stakes headed by the great one 
one $300,000 Malibu, the Grade 1 La Brea, and the Grade 1 American Oaks. They'll be complemented by three Grade 2 events, the Mathis Mile, the San Antonio, and the San Gabriel. Bring the family. Santa Anita's infield area will be open on December 26th, December 30th, and 31st, as well as on New Year's Day. Infield admission is $5, which includes parking and program. Again, come early on opening day. First post time is at 11 a.m. Santa Anita. It's the great race place. Joe Buck and John Smoltz welcoming you back to the City Center Convenience Mart. Well, John, the stage is set for the final transaction. That's right, Joe. Heather's moment has arrived, and you just hope all that training pays off. Heather lays down her purchase, but Randy rings it up as slowly as he can. He is a wily veteran. It gives Heather's eyes the chance to wander. Uh-oh. Yep, she's looking at the cigarettes. There's nothing good back there. Quit now, and in five years, your odds of getting certain cancers drop 50%. Meanwhile, Randy's stone-faced. He's giving nothing away. He just stands there, wetting his cashier's finger on that sponge. Heather toes the rubber. Here we go. Heather's arm is in motion. But instead of pointing at the back wall, she just grabs the gum off the counter. That's a slick move. Heather back, back, back. She is out of there. Even Randy tips his cap to Heather. Stand up to cancer and rally wants you to reduce your risk for cancer. Go to takeahealthystand.org. Thursday evenings, 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern, is the brisnet.com call-in show. It's your chance to call in and let the Horse Racing Radio Nation know what's on your mind. Call us at 888-966-HRRN. That's 888-966-4776. And discuss the topics you choose in the world of thoroughbred racing. The brisnet.com call-in show. Sirius 162, XM207, and streaming live at horseracingradio.net. Hi, my name is Adam Garcia. My name is Paco Lopez. This is Jose Lescano. This is Jackie Emma Jane Wilson, and you're listening to the Horse Racing Radio Network. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. Rob Murphy and Alex Bregman have both enjoyed tremendous Major League Baseball careers. Alex's career, of course, is still ongoing, having just concluded his eighth season in the big leagues, all with the Houston Astros. Rob wrapped up his 11-year pitching career July 22, 1995, after playing for several teams, including the Reds, Red Sox, Mariners, and Cardinals. And yeah, he even spent one year with the Houston Astros. But their passion for baseball isn't the only thing that unites them. Their love of horse racing is what brings them together in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf on Friday afternoon. And Alex is the owner of No Name Mets. Rob is involved with the ownership of a horse appropriately named Slider. So, Rob, let me start with you for a minute, my friend. I appreciate both of you being here. Uh, Alex was just 16 months old when you wrapped up your career in 1995. But now... Thanks to this incredible sport of thoroughbred racing, you guys finally get to face each other, and you do it on the big stage. It's amazing how baseball and horses tie together in so many ways. And, uh, you know, I've uh, got uh, one of my daughters is older than Alex. You know, and I, when I look back and, and see, uh, you know, look at his career in Houston, a place I love to play, and realize that uh, time passes – but the further you get down the road, the closer things come back together. So uh, this is this is going to be a great event, as it is always with Breeders' Cup. But now uh, I, I can see a friendship coming from this. Well, Alex, you joined me here on HRN last November to talk about watching your horse gold-blooded win at Churchill Downs. And one of the things that you mentioned during our conversation was your goal of competing 
in big races and building your operation from the ground up. Man, I think running in a $1 million Breeders' Cup race is going to let you check off one of those boxes. Yeah, it's it's crazy. And, um, you know, super thankful that we've got a horse that's been able to take us on this ride already to the Breeders' Cup, such a prestigious event. It's such an honor to be competing um, this year in the Breeders' Cup uh, races that my, myself and my family have watched for so long. And um, it's going to be great to get there and see so many incredible horses. Um, and we're really, really looking forward to it. And um, can't I, I don't know, I, maybe – Maybe the World Series and uh, this is the most excited I've ever been for a sporting <laughs> event. So I'm pretty, I'm pretty fired up. You told me that it was only a couple of years ago you were at Del Mar for the Breeders' Cup, and you thought, hey, this horse ownership thing might be kind of cool. Oh, 100%. 100%. My family's been in the business for a while. And um, in the last, last time we were at the Breeders' Cup, we were like, hey, maybe we should, maybe we should get a horse. And we ended up buying our first horse in 2021 at the Keeneland September sale. And he actually um, was on the road to the same exact race. Uh, and he, he, he ended up uh, getting hurt on the track. Um, he came back um, this year actually and, and made a race again, but we vowed, we were like, Hey, we want to go, we want to try and find a horse in Europe that could run in the juvenile turf sprint. And, uh, Sometimes I guess you get lucky, and uh, we were fortunate enough to find this horse, and now we're we're really excited. Yeah, no name. That's eight uh, four to one on the morning line. Slider is eight to one on the morning line. And Rob, you are not the sole owner of this horse. You're involved with the folks at West Point Thoroughbreds and some of the other ownership groups. So walk me through how this relationship with Slider came to be. You know, Terry Finley and I have known each other for almost 30 years, uh, being, uh, let's say, uh, both involved, both doing racing partnerships. And, you know, we uh, participated in some uh, owner view events, things like that. So it's, uh, you know, you you see somebody from across the aisle and it's like, all right, great, you know, and you see them in the, the paddock and, you know, each of you has your own success. And the a couple years ago, I had um, um, actually – been hospitalized with uh, COVID for a couple of weeks and missed the Saratoga sale. And there was a pedigree in this sale that, that I wanted to get involved with. And it was a horse that Terry Finley actually purchased through West Point. And uh, after I got out of the hospital, I talked to Terry. And, uh, you know, they had uh, pretty much finished syndication, but Terry made made it work. So we got part of a horse, and that horse uh, – is name, now named Battle of Normandy, and he won his first uh, race at Saratoga last summer, ran second and with anticipation. He was actually in last year's Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf, and he ran fifth uh, with a, closing three lengths in the stretch and, uh, you know, almost got in the money with it. So it was exciting last year, and uh, so we've gone – beyond and and with west point and ended up uh, getting in uh, on slider who was already named when the group bought him and terry uh made it sure it caught my attention that he had uh noticed the name and knew that uh you know any pitcher in a big league for 10 plus years got to have a good slider at some point <laughs> so we got involved with the horse and you know this horse can run him he's won two of his three starts and you know winning the local prep in the speakeasy at Santa Anita a month ago uh, puts him in good stead for uh, this race right here 
Alex, you've handled plenty of good sliders in your days. Um, how does No Name Mets handle this slider coming up on Friday? <laughs> well, I think uh, I think both horses will most likely be forwardly placed. Um, they both like um, running towards the front of the the race. Uh, both have won on the lead, um, and I think it'll be interesting how this race shapes out. Obviously, we we drew the inside um, right next to some other speed and sliders way uh, far on the outside in the eleven hole, but. Um, I think both horses will be forwardly placed, and I think both will be in the mix when it com- when it comes time to uh, turn it on down the stretch. So um, I don't know. Uh, I think both horses. Are, I mean, I know our horse is doing really well, and I've I've seen uh, I've seen West Point um, on social media um, talking about how well Slider's doing. So it should be a really really fun race. Um, I think both horses are the, the top the top tier in this in this field. No name Mets is three for four lifetime. One of the really interesting things when you look at his past performances, Alex, he's never raced in anything other than a stakes race. He's always been highly regarded. Yeah, you know, we were we were actually going to put him in that we put him in that same OBS sale that Slider went in, and um, we, he didn't meet the reserve. And we actually said, you know what, um, the way this horse galloped out and the way he did it, he's ready to roll right now. So. Kieran Dunn, who is a close friend of ours who breaks all of our horses down in Ocala at Wavertree, um, called George Weaver and said, George, I know you're still in Florida. Will you give this horse, uh, will you show this horse the starting gate and um, give him a chance uh, to run in 17 days? Uh, it's probably moving a little quick, but will you do it? And George said, sure, I'll try it. He, he went in the starting gate for the first time, uh, I think, uh, seven days before his first start. He broke two steps slow, and we were like, oh, don't know what's going to happen here. And uh, we debuted him in a stake uh, seven days later. Um, and he broke on the lead and won going away by five. So um, he's been he's been a really, really fun, uh, smart horse. Um, he went to Ascot, obviously. He didn't like the soft ground over there. Um, but I, I hear – uh, Santa Anita's pretty firm, so he should like the ground like he has his other three starts here in the United States. Um, but, you know, um, you never know. It's it's, uh, it's what, That's what's so fun about it. So we're excited. The other cool part of his story is trainer George Weaver and his wife Cindy, who suffered that traumatic brain injury when galloping a horse at Saratoga last year. She is now thankfully back with the operation. I talked to George not long ago. And it's great to see her back around the horses again. And, boy, what an emotional win it would be if no-name Mets could pull off the victory. It would be incredible. And, and um, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing in the horse business how many people um, help with uh, getting these horses uh, into the position that they're in. And George's whole team has been incredible. I've loved getting to know everyone um, George has been incredible in teaching me about horse racing. I know I probably call him way too much during uh, <laughs> during the year and ask him way too many questions, but you know he answers every single one of them, and it's been a, it's honestly been amazing to work with him um, all year long. So I, I, I can't I can't I, I, I can't say enough good things about him um, and and his team, um, and it would be incredible to get him and. Uh, Cindy a Breeders' Cup. Rob, Alex has told me before that watching his horses run makes him more nervous than standing at the plate with two outs in the bottom of the ninth. Do you get that nervous too? 
I got to uh, answer that question 23 years ago when we ran our first horse, a homebred Platinum Tiara in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies. And everybody wanted to know what was easier to handle. Well, in baseball, you got the hitter in the box, catcher's back there, umpire's back there. I'm on the mound, and I've got the ball. So I'm in total control of when the action starts. In this business, as Alex uh, just stated, he's got to call the trainer all the time to find out what's going on. And on race day, you all show up, and as much control as the trainer has, they grab the leg of the jock, put the jock up on the horse, and now the trainer is out of control too. It's up to the jock and the racing gods. So it's uh, no doubt I felt more comfortable on that orange mound 60 feet, 6 inches away from home plate but this is uh, this is quite the thrill. I mean, it's it's always teamwork, and the adrenaline rush is amazing. Alex, same for you. Oh, one hundred percent. I mean, in in baseball, you kind of can can control. Ever, you can control how you perform. You can control how you prepare. You can control the mindset that you have um, in the batter's box. And here, it's kind of out of your control. And um, it's it's uh it's nerve wracking. Uh, my dad said, "Now you know how I feel when I watch you play baseball." It's <laughs> <laughs> a great line. I, I'm going to stay out of the the your way with, with this next question, guys. And I'll let you kind of bounce back and forth for a couple of minutes here. But you're both known for naming horses after baseball terminology. So, uh, Rob, Alex, talk about some of the names that are some of your favorites so far. Well, let me see. I'm going to go first. I, I know that Alex has got, uh, you know, horse name Game Seven, which he'll elaborate on and and all that. But through the years with some of uh, my partnerships, we've had uh, some of my teammates, Tom Browning, Tom Pagnazzi involved, and <clears throat> we we almost exclusively had baseball names. So, Alex, I want you to know, Mike asked me off the air how I would get you out if I was facing you as a pitcher. And I know you're one of the diamond studs of baseball, and you're always wearing those golden spikes. And my job is try to get strike three on you. Sometimes it comes from a swing and miss, or maybe you get caught looking. But on Saturday, it's going to be about the slider. (laughs) I love it. I love it. I love it. Rob, love that was yeah, brilliant. We... And those are all names of, of horses that you've had in the past, correct? Absolutely. 100%. Wow. That was, that was good. I'm not going to be able to top that, but um, <laughs> we've named, uh, we've, we've named uh, some of our horses game seven. Um, he, uh, he broke his maiden uh, last year as a two-year-old up at parks. He was a PA bred. We have, uh, no name Mets. Who? Uh, long story there. Not gonna. Not gonna tell it yet. But um, we uh, we've had we've had a few good names. My wife actually has been naming um, most of the horses. So now uh, <clears throat> we're gonna have to add some more baseball names to the stable here moving forward. After uh, Mets has been a, a good success for us. But I'll tell you this. We. Uh, we played the we played the New York Mets a, a few times this year, and um, they they have a really good lineup. And uh, one uh, one thing we couldn't get them out with was the slider. So um, 
We're, uh... <laughs> well, I'm not a fan of the Mets myself. And and my daughter, Scarlett, when she went to school in New York City, she said, Dad, I can't be a Yankee fan because I'm really a Red Sox fan. Can I be a Mets fan? And I said, absolutely no. And she's like, why is that? I said, well, go on YouTube and do a search for 1986 Reds-Mets fight. And when you watch those videos, you'll know why I'm not a Mets fan. That's for sure. <laughs> Oh, Rob, we, we've, we've got about two minutes left here before we have to wrap up the interview. Um, but I, I want you guys to give me your best baseball slash horse racing story, whether it's Rob, when you were playing. I know you played with Pete Rose with Cincinnati. Uh, tell me a little bit about that best story that you have with baseball as it relates to horse racing. Well, the best story I can't say on the, on the recorded line, <laughs> <laughs> but there was a pretty good one. The first Saturday of spring training, you know, first year in big league camp, I was uh, warming up on uh, one of our minor league fields to throw BP, and Pete came over and was chatting with me, and my mom and dad were there because they loved being at spring training, and a gentleman behind them said, gosh, I wonder what Pete Rose is telling that rookie pitcher to throw fastballs or curveballs or whatever. And my parents, being my parents, turned around and said, hey, that's our son. We'll find out for you. So after the workout, I met this man. He's like, what was Pete telling you? I said, Pete asked me who was going to win the Florida Derby today over at Gulf Street. So <laughs> I gave him <laughs> I gave him proud truth and Stefan's odyssey in the exact, and it hit. So, uh, you know, I ended up making the team that year. <laughs> Alex, how about you? I think, I think my best baseball and horse racing memory so far has been uh, last year, actually. Um, we were all in Texas, and um, we were debuting our first ever racehorse. And um, we we had the entire the entire team was glued to the TV uh, for the whole buildup for the 30 minutes before the race. Um, in the paddock, as soon as they showed our horse, Cadillac Candy, the entire team went nuts. And um we uh we were all watching uh the race and he came flying from the back of the pack to finish second at keeneland on debut and everyone was losing their mind and uh had a blast so moving moving on everyone's like hey whenever you have a horse race we really want to watch it and every year we never get to watch the kentucky derby because we're always playing um we're always playing at that time but this year we were playing in seattle and the entire team was able to watch the derby and we always have uh we always have like a derby thing where everyone gets to pick a horse and um the whole team decided hey this year we're all going to pick the same horse and we're all going to go crazy for one horse and um we decided on mage so when mage turned <laughs> for home there were tables being flipped food being thrown in the air it was like we just won the world series champagne showers in the clubhouse with coca-cola or water or whatever it was before a game and uh, guys were going nuts and and to be honest that's that's horse racing is so fun and it's so thrilling and it, like there's just so much uh excitement uh, for that two minutes that um i think uh i think it's safe to say that our entire team is enormous horse racing fans now and hopefully uh we can continue to grow the sport and uh continue to uh, show how fun it is to the world alex bregman no name mets Rob Murphy, slider, squaring off in the juvenile turf sprint coming up on Friday. Guys, really appreciate the visit. Enjoy California, and we will talk again soon. All the best. Good luck. 
Thank you. See you guys out there. What a great way to wrap up this Christmas best of edition of the Equine Forum here on the Horse Racing Radio Network. Rob Murphy and Alex Bregman. Coming up in hour two, you're going to hear from Hall of Famer Javier Castellano looking back on his first ever Kentucky Derby victory. John Sherris remembering the great Zenyatta and owner Steve Lehman talking about Goodnight Olive shortly before she would make her 2023 debut, which resulted in a win in the Philly and Mare Breeders' Cup sprint. I'm back with hour two, right after I pause 10 seconds for station identification. This is the Horse Racing Radio Network, where racing comes to talk. This is the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires. Welcome back. Hour two of three of this best of edition of the Equine Forum on Christmas weekend. Hope you're enjoying what you've heard in the first hour of the show. Two more to go and plenty more great interviews coming your way. Some of my favorites from this past year, including jockey Javier Castellano, who will kick it off momentarily. John Sheros at 920. Owner Steve Lehman of Goodnight Olive fame coming up at 935 Eastern time. If you missed any portion of the show or any of our shows, head back to our website. Check out the podcast at horseracingradio.net, including this past week's trainer talk with Chad Brown. Boy, what an enjoyable visit that was from Chad Brown. Some great stuff there in that conversation. You can check out the show on our website. Javier Castellano joined me for an interview on May 13th, shortly after his first ever Kentucky Derby win. Well, Javier Castellano has had so much success in his Hall of Fame career. He has won pretty much every major race there is to win. But coming into this year's Kentucky Derby, Javier was 0 for 15. And you had to think that maybe he was starting to think it was never going to happen. His best finish from those 15 tries came in 2018 when he was third with Audible. Well, he was third behind nobody on Saturday at Churchill Downs. He got the victory aboard Mage. It's a fantastic story. And as I said earlier, a win for the good guys. Well, I started our conversation by welcoming Javier to the show, thanking him for his time, and then saying, hey, congratulations, Hall of Famer. Yeah, absolutely, Mike. Thank you so much. And thank God for giving me the opportunity to enjoy the ride. You know, basically, that's a great, great emotion. You know, I've been waiting for so many years and finally, thank God, I get it. I got it already. And it's part of my achievement, and it's something I've been working for many, many years. It's a part of my career. That's a dream come true for any jockey, any trainer, any owner in the world to win the, the bigger races in the world, the Kentucky Derby, and thank God I got it. You've dreamt about that moment for so long. Ever since you started riding races, this was always a dream. The dream came true when you crossed the finish line first. Did it? Did it feel the way you thought it was going to feel? Uh, yes, I believe so, yes. Um, <clears throat> a lot of adrenaline in my body, a lot of excitement, and thank God my family was there, and my my kid, my wife, everybody, we enjoyed those beautiful moments. It took a while, but I never give up. Uh, it's something like always been consistent and try to work hard, do the right thing and dedicated myself every single year, try to find the right horse and I never give up, you know, it's been positive every year to find the Kentucky Derby winner. And 
it's nothing like you when you think of something and reach up. That's the best feeling in the world. Mike Smith told me a few years ago that when he first won the Kentucky Derby with Giacomo, that there was this almost like a moment of silence, a brief moment when he hit the finish line. And it was a, a brief moment of silence. And then when the sound came back on and the roar from the crowd, it almost knocked him off the horse. Did, did you have a similar experience? Well, <clears throat> yeah, I feel like it, you know, the first thing to my mind, I say, I did it. I did it because it wasn't right in my mind. I like to do, I like to do, I like to do it very persistent for many years. I like to do, I like to do it. If it first went across my mind, past the wire, right there, I say, yes, God, got it. I did it. I did it. I did it. I was the biggest satisfaction you can ever have as a human being when you, something you be in searching, you target for many, many, many years and you got it. It's, it's unbelievable. That's the best feeling. Would you have felt like, even though you've won almost every big race there is to win, if you didn't win the Derby, would you have felt like your career was incomplete? I don't know about that, because always it's I, I always think about I like to get it. Uh, I, I think one day I'm gonna win the Derby. I don't know if it's now or later. I don't know, but I think one day I knew I knew I'm gonna walk away with with the Rose. And I've been very consistent, been working hard. I know the last couple of years being a little slowly in my career compared with the other years. And I never give up. I never, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's drink and true and always work hard for try to reach out that, that bigger race in the world. You've had to battle through a lot of injuries the past couple of years, Javier, and you spent some time on the sidelines. You and I talked when you were just making your comeback. So this has to be maybe even more satisfying, knowing that you didn't give up and that you battled through all that adversity and then you finally reached the top of the mountain. That has to be even more satisfying. Yes, my absolutely. I thank God for my family. They're always there next to me, support my mom, my sister, my brothers, my wife, my kids. I've always been supported, surrounded with the right people and being supporting. Don't give up, don't give up. Don't, don't get me wrong. Sometimes I feel like depressed, you know, and those moments you, I went through, it's it, it emotion. And when you go through those moments, you have to be tough. You have to be... Consistent, you gotta get up and and keep going. You know, you can't stop. And at some point in my career, I thought about give up. You know, I I don't want to continue anymore because I don't see any of those feedback. They I had it for many years. They didn't have any support. That's the one thing about this game. It's really tough mentally. It's been one day you can be top, and you one day the next day you can be in the bottom. I mean, it's, it's very inconsistent and. I don't feel like it, nobody supported me in my career lately the last two years ago when I was in those moments trying to come back after the injury and work hard and I don't see the result. And that really, really bothered me. But I think I got good, got great, and give me that support, give me strong mind and give me strong body. And my family always support right next to me every single day to reach out this moment. Look at 
if you look up two years ago and look up now, especially on the top of the mountain, you know, it's, it's, it's the best fit in the world. Talking with Hall of Fame jockey and now Kentucky Derby winning jockey Javier Castellano here on the Horse Racing Radio Network. Javier, the chart says that Mage broke a step slow and he was toward the back early and then rallied uh, in the five to seven path and drew off to win by a length as we as we saw on Saturday. Walk me through your trip. How beautiful trail. That's the dream, dream trip any jockey want to have in the Kentucky Derby. I think it's with the big feel and everything went nice and smooth. You can see NBC shot. You can watch a replay the head on. You can watch every single anchor. What a beautiful trip I had. And I rode with a lot of patience, a lot of confidence in myself and the horse, Mesh. And he always tended to break his law out of the gate. You can see it in the Florida Derby, the race before. You can see the race before the Florida Derby in the front of you as well. This is John Horse. He started developing himself. He started learning. But how I'm proud of Horse. He's so mature. And the race, be surrounded with so many horses around and go through and and come from behind a lot of dirt in the face and go inside, outside in the way he finished with the field. I think that's the best feeling. That's a big, great emotion, you know. I think the other and, cool cool part of the story is that you weren't even supposed to ride Mage in the Kentucky Derby. You were going to be aboard a different horse, and then all of a sudden uh, you decide to make the switch and go in Mage, and it turns out to be your first Kentucky Derby winner. Yeah, actually, you know, I was excited because um, you, when you ride, you're very, very focused. You don't think anything else. You try to, try to go through every single moment, every single sp- every single inch ground and the race at the race and looking forward what's going on and I try to be aware because I knew the pace is going to be faster my biggest challenge is going to be in the half a part of the race when those horses start backing up and I had to be aware not being stuck and after the whole get the momentum again I think that's what I want to avoid it and I did it and thank God we went through and then turn up for home I put in the top clear trip and let him roll it when I felt at that moment when I asked him. I said, well, this is it. This is kind of in my derby. That's in in the top of the trail just to ride it with confidence, go by and try to go by the other horse. He was inside on the lead. He was too fulfilling. And then when passing, I say, I got it. I got it. I win the race. I win the Kentucky Derby 2023. Yeah, two fills was really game, and uh, he didn't go down easily. And you had to to get past him in order to win. When did you know that you had him measured, Javier? Well, it's a quarter, but I think I knew I had it because <clears throat> little by little, I let him develop the horse. I let him find something finish in the end. I think I didn't squeeze it, basically, what I call the squeeze of the limo or push it back the way, all the way to the bottom. I just let him develop it, I hold it, let him develop it, the rhythm, and let it little by little the horse flow by. And I think that before he go by, I knew I felt it. I'm gonna go by because I didn't ask him much. When I start asking my horse to encourage a little bit for speed, I knew he's gonna give it to me. He did it. 
it did it before go by one land or two land before you go by and you I'm gonna win the, uh, I'm gonna win the race and I did it I loved your post-race interview as you were coming back to the winner's circle with Donna Brothers on NBC, and, and she asked you, you know, about the Venezuelan connection. And I had a chance to catch up with Gustavo Delgado Jr. this past week, and he told me that that you guys are from the same hometown of Maracaibo in Venezuela. I, I didn't know that. I think that's really neat. Yeah, this is the best feeling, you know, when you grow up and feel like we are everybody part of the family that's a beautiful story you know we both we came from different countries immigrants to united states to me it's the biggest biggest country in the world and how beautiful it is they give it opportunity open the door when you come to this country and how blessed we are we grew up in the little town in venezuela they call maracaibo and we both, we grew up in, you know, the little, little racetrack. And we both grow little by little and get to the level where the top of the top of the level, the win the Kentucky Derby. I mean, I know Gustavo wins. I was a little kid. Basically, I think I remember we have a fence uh, when I was six years old, seven years old. When I go to the track with my dad, my dad used to be ride horses for him. And... That's why I know Gustavo Delgado being successful in, in Venezuela. And then we grew up together. And now the second generation, now a right horse, Gustavo Delgado, and the assistant trainer, and the assistant, no, the exercise rider, and KJ Delgado, he rode with my dad. I mean, it's part wow. of the team. It's part of the family. It's most. It's, it's a brilliant story. We all come from Venezuela. We grew up in this country, and they opened the door. We never wasted the opportunity. We always appreciate this country, how beautiful the country. They give the opportunity, the people, the life, the guy give it to us and bring it here and and work hard and reach up where the dream come true, the American dream, to win the Kentucky Derby. And, and thank God we're really, really blessed. And and grateful for the country, for the people that give you the opportunity to stay here. Javier, is it true that you're going to be retiring from riding races to pitch for the New York Yankees? <laughs> uh, I've been talking to signing the contract for when I sign the contract with the Yankees, I will retire. <laughs> 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 how how cool was that experience that earlier this week you got to go out in, in Yankee Stadium and throw out the first pitch that that's incredible that was awesome that's a, that's unbelievable because I'm from Venezuela we that's the biggest sport in our country baseball well all the kids when we grow up every single kid they want to play baseball they want to be baseball player and grow up and play baseball when I was a little kid. And it's the passion we love to do that. And now I'm here in the Yankee Stadium, throw the first ball. Uh, nothing better than that. Trust me, I'm still grateful and blessed and, and thankful and happiness and so happy, really happy to be there to throw the, the first ball and people, the camera, the people look at you and throw the first ball. It's amazing. It's a great, great feeling in the world. You know, you described the feeling and what it was like when you won the Kentucky Derby. 
when you walk out to the mound, what's going through your mind? Are you thinking, oh, my God, at least make it to the catcher? Yes. I was more nerve, nervous <laughs> than anything else. I didn't feel that, that same feeling the Kentucky Derby, but I did feel. And when you go to the mountain and throw the pitch and you get there, you don't, you look in TV so close, so easy. <laughs> but when you get a real life and you see the mountain, you see so far away and you feel on the top of the mountain, the hill, you got to go through all the way. And people look at you and see, let's see how I can throw up. Try a boy, all the camera, all the picture. Uh, it's unbelievable. It's, oh, I hope I can make it. I hope I can make it. I throw really hard. And I did it. I made it. Yeah, you did good. You did it again. And, uh, boy, what a what a week for Javier Castellano. It's on to the Preakness. The The news came out that Mage is going to go to the Preakness. So, Javier, uh, let's go win the Preakness. Let's head to Belmont with a chance at the Triple Crown. And uh, all the best, my friends. Safe trip every time you get a leg up. And, again, congratulations on this wonderful accomplishment. Thank you so much, Mike. I really appreciate it. All the best, guys. Well, I guess the 16th time is the charm. Congratulations to Javier again, and my thanks to him for taking time for that conversation. And you heard him say, and, and I, I think you would expect this answer from many pro athletes, um, he was more nervous walking out to the mound at Yankee Stadium to throw out the first pitch than he was in the Kentucky Derby. And I've had athletes tell me that. I've had plenty of jockeys tell me that, that that's, that's their zone. When they're aboard their horse, they're doing their thing. Um, Alex Bregman of the Houston Astros told me in an interview earlier this year that he was more nervous watching his horse run at Churchill Downs, a horse he owned, than he was with two outs in the bottom of the ninth standing at the plate in the World Series. That's their comfort zone. Athletes do that all the time. That's where they're comfortable. Javier wasn't comfortable walking out to the mound, but he threw, he threw the pitch and it reached the catcher. He didn't bounce it. And I know he was really nervous about that. So uh, what a week for Javier and uh, more good things to come, hopefully, next Saturday for the Castellano team and for the Gustavo Delgado team uh, as they get ready to head to the Preakness, the middle leg of the Triple Crown with Mage. This is the Equine Forum presented by Twin Spires on HRR. Race to Twin Spires where you can unlock a $25 risk-free bet. Just use the code HRRN25 when you sign up. And if your first bet doesn't win, Twin Spires will refund your account up to $25. Wagering on the app is fast with free pass performances, insider picks, and power plays every day you wager. Twin Spires. Download the app today to earn your $25 risk-free bet. Boy, we're prohibited. For terms and conditions, visit TwinSpires.com. Must be 18 or older, 21 and older where applicable for help with the game. Problem called 1 800 Gambler. The best son of leading sire Munnings, Jack Christopher, showed he was an exceptional talent early, winning the Grade 1 Champagne Stakes with a 102 buyer. At three, Jack Christopher racked up wins in the Grade 2 Pat Day Mile. The Grade 1 Woody Stevens, winning by 10 lengths, and proved much the best in the Grade 1 H. Allen Jerkins. With his pedigree and outstanding physique, Jack Christopher represents fantastic value with his foals arriving in 2024. Call the team at Ashford today to book your mare. Horse of the Year candidate, Elite Power. Southgate's Warrior makes his move on the outside. Elite Power on the front outside. And Elite Power gets up to win the sprint. Elite Power is moving clear. And going to take the rear turn sprint by a widening margin. Five miles all the day, take it easy, down or down. Elite power to the front, but elite power does it again. 
Standing at Judmont. Tenda Equine and Pet Care Products have been keeping world-class equine athletes happy and healthy for generations. Keep your equine athlete looking and performing well with Tenda Next Generation Wound and Skin Care Treatment. Along with nutritional supplements, leg and muscle care products, salves, hoof care, poultice, topical aids, and grooming products. Visit TendaHorse.com today. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. Here comes Zenyatta. She's caught about five wide, but she's coming gamely. Hysterical Lady gets the lead to Santa Teresita. Grandstand side, Zenyatta. She knows she's in a race today, but just look at her. Zenyatta on the outside now strikes the front, and it's Zenyatta coming away. Music note running on gamely. Coco Beach down at the rail. Zenyatta's going to come home to score. Undoubtedly now, a living legend, Zenyatta, nine for nine, wins it again, super impressive to Coco Beach, music note was third, and carriage trail, mini four. Zenyatta 9 for 9 and she was just getting started with that win in the Breeders' Cup Ladies Classic in 2008. Trevor Denman with the call. So brilliant. We are wrapping up Zenyatta Week presented by Keeneland Sales here on the Horse Racing Radio Network. In just a moment, you're going to hear from Zenyatta's trainer, John Sheriffs, looking back on her career and talking about how special she really was to him and to those that she was able to touch through her brilliance on the racetrack. Um asking you in the poll question today to share your favorite Breeders' Cup memories here on the 40th anniversary of the Breeders' Cup. You can do that at HRRN on Twitter, Horse Racing Radio Network on Facebook, and you can email the show, as many of you have already done. That's Mike at HorseRacingRadio.net. Let me know your favorite moment in Breeders' Cup history, and it may be this moment right here. Sent on their way in the Breeders' Cup Classic to the roar of the Santa Anita crowd. Regal Ransom bounced away quickly. Zenyatta is dead last. Zenyatta's dead last early. It's Regal Ransom going on. Gio Ponti, Einstein is right there. Colonel John in the white colors. Summerbird has the red cap in the vanguard too. Rip Van Winkle is on the outside and twice over racing right behind them. They tightly grouped and not in a big hurry out on the lead. Then it's Awesome Jim. Gio Ponti's back fourth last. Been followed then by Richard's kid. Then comes Mind That Bird and Zenyatta is dead last. Zenyatta last. Got to be giving them about 10, 11 length start. They grab the three-quarter pole now in the Classic, and it's Regal Ransom just setting a sensible pace, not in a big hurry out here. Rip Van Winkle now goes up second, and Colonel John scrapes the paint in third. Einstein's right there, too. Girolamo, white cap, far side. Here's Kent DeSormo and Summerbird. They six at the rail, just five off the leader. Then it comes twice over. Awesome German Gio Ponti's giving them seven lane start. Then it's Richard's kid. Now here's Zenyatta. Zenyatta is still a good 10-11 off the leaders. And then it's four back to mine that bird. A half mile to go now in the Classic, and still the leader is Regal Ransom, a length and a half. Rip Van Winkle being sent along after him. Then Colonel John on the far side, Girolamo. Einstein is right there. Summerbird at the rail. Twice over is next. Then Awesome Gem. Gio Ponti's behind that. Then Richard's kid. And now here's Zenyatta. And let's see. Zenyatta has a lot, a lot of ground to make up. Zenyatta, if she wins this, she'll be a super horse. 
She's starting to pick them off, though. Zenyatta going to hook to the outside. Meanwhile, it's Colonel John Summerbird in the red cap. And Zenyatta has come to the outside. Zenyatta coming, flying on the grandstand side. Gio Ponti on the inside. Summerbird is right there. This is unbelievable. Zenyatta, what a performance. One will never forget. Looked impossible, but it is Zenyatta still unbeaten under Mike Smith. Gio Ponti second, Summerbird, and then Richards Kid. What a dramatic performance. One of the most sensational ever. Zenyatta wins the Breeders' Cup Classic. John, listening to that call of the Breeders' Cup Classic and Trevor, what was going through your mind? My goodness, that was that was so exciting, and um, I know that was that was a moment. I, I um, you know, there was so much anticipation, so much worries, and uh, so much excitement. And uh, once you won that race, I didn't know what to do. Really, I, I felt like I was going to explode, and I, actually, I wanted to rip my jacket off. But <laughs> I thought that would really be in bad form. So I just threw my hat, you know what I mean? I mean, I, I was ready to explode. I don't know. It was, it was just such a moment. You know, she retired in 2010 uh, after her runner-up effort in the Breeders' Cup Classic that year at Churchill Downs. It's been 13 years since Zenyatta, and that's really hard to get your head wrapped around because it seems like just yesterday. How often are you still asked about Zenyatta? Well, I, I would say, I won't say every day, but uh, at least... Uh, two or three times a week. I mean, she's, isn't it wonderful that she's still on the mind of so many people and she had such fans who just adored her. It was just, a, you know, it was contagious really. That Breeders' Cup Classic win in 09 is, is going to go down in history as one of the truly great performances. She looked, it looked like she didn't have a chance and then somehow she found the courage, I'll call it personal Ensign-esque, to find a way to blow past the field late. Um, yeah. And you described your reaction after the race. What are some of the the favorite Zenyatta moments for John Sheriff that that always come to mind when you hear her name? Uh, you know, I, I, there, are, I know there are so many, but um, one of the one of those really, um, and a lot of them. So one time, I, you know, this lady she was blind and she wanted to quote unquote see Zenyatta, and so we she came on a bus. Steve went down to the bus stop, brought her back to the barn. And I thought, well, you know, she'll put her hand, her palm on the horse and, you know, kind of feel it and feel its texture and all that. And uh, that's not what she did. And I understand now that she used her fingertips and she touched, 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 all, all down her neck, on her flank. And she says, oh, I've, I've got to touch her hocks. I'm thinking, oh, my God, because she's not petting like a horse is used to, but she's touching, touching, touching. And Zenyatta never moved, never did a thing. She just stood there and let that lady do that. And I thought, wow, I, I, I really didn't expect that. But now I kind of get it. It's for them to put it all together. They have to touch quickly so they can get it all in their mind at the same time. And it was, it was quite an experience for me to watch that. Um, and then another time, you had, you know, she's still in training to be a racehorse too. So another time that we had the buyer horse um, model person come out, and um, 
her 12-year-old daughter or 10-year-old daughter, I don't remember which, brought the model out and said, okay, we'll bring Zinyat out and she can look at it. And so they got some pictures of her sniffing it and everything. And then Zinyat got kind of bored with us, so she turned to move away. And the little girl took her hand and just put it right over her rump. <laughs> right, right between her high, uh, standing right between her hind legs, and she goes right over her rump. And Sajana just didn't do anything; just just let it go. I mean, she was she was such a classy mare. One time, they had this this auction for breakfast with Zinata, and so the lady came out and her family and everything. And so we brought Zinata out. We had this big table for eggs and whatever. Anyway, so Zinata kept pulling pulling to go to this chair, and I. And the woman's purse was on the chair, and I said, "Why? I wonder why she's doing that." And then, the, and the lady says, "Oh, you know what? I've got some carrots in my purse." <laughs> so how she could smell those carrots from being underneath the tree, which was at least 25 feet away. So that just goes to tell you how sensitive their sense of smell is, right? Wow. So she could she because she never met that person before. So I, I mean, just in those regards. She's unbelievable. And one of, one of the things when she first came to the barn, oh, man, she could gallop and just jump in there and fire, right, and buck. So after a couple of weeks there, nobody wanted to get on her. So I had this one young lady by the name of Heather Gonzalez, and she said, oh, I'll ride, Senora. I'll be okay. So I said, okay, Heather, if you want to ride her, go ahead. And so my barn was right by the training track, and, so she'd go up there, and I don't know how many times that Senyata came back by herself. <laughs> she'd jump and kick and buck that little girl <laughs> off, and then she'd run back to the barn. But finally, finally, she got it all straightened out and started galloping really strongly. And then I told, I said, "Well, Heather, we better start putting Steve on her now because she's getting a little too strong." But um, I don't know. Senyata was just special. She, she would uh, when we went to the uh, for the apple blossom at Oaklawn went. Steve would hold her there, and, and, I don't know, 100 to 150 people came up and had their picture taken with her, and she was just as patient as can be. And one morning, we were out behind the barn. She was grazing, and some lady walks over, grabs the side of a halter, and says, oh, I'm going to pick her head up so I can get a better picture. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I never bothered Zinata. She was she was good about all that stuff. Wow. Well, John, what's your most cherished piece of Zenyatta memorabilia that you still have? Oh, I have a I have a, a racing bridle and uh, it's going to take me a minute It's okay Anyway, so um, <clears throat> there was this, this school teacher in Canada that was dying of cancer. And her friend called and said that, you know, she just she just loves Zinyata. So he thought, okay, we'll put her name on the brow band, and Zinyata will wear it in her last race. And uh, I think that's that's it. That's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. So many wonderful moments in his training career. Certainly Zenyatta is a big part of a, a part of that. 
John, she was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 2016, and I mentioned earlier that your name came up as a nominee this year for the Hall of Fame. When you got the news that you were going to be on the ballot this year, tell me about that moment. Well, that, that's, uh, you know, that's, that's a moment for all my friends, all the people I've worked for, worked with, and uh, shared this journey. So, um, you know, it was wonderful to think that at some time I could thank them. Great Zenyatta and that win in the Breeders' Cup Classic that took place in 2009. Incredible stuff from John. My thanks to him. You can catch that entire Trainer Talk visit with John by going to our website, horseracingradio.net, and check out the podcast there. But that was such a beautiful way to look back on her as we wrap up Zenyatta Week presented by Keeneland Sales here on HRRN. This is the Equine Forum presented by Twin Spires on HRRN Horse Racing. This is HRRN. Horse Racing's Voice. Race to Twin Spires, where you can unlock a $25 risk-free bet. Just use the code HRRN25 when you sign up. And if your first bet doesn't win, Twin Spires will refund your account up to $25. Wagering on the app is fast with free pass performances, insider picks, and power plays every day you wager. Twin Spires. Download the app today to earn your $25 risk-free bet. Void where prohibited. For terms and conditions, visit TwinSpires.com. Must be 18 or older, 21 and older where applicable. For help with a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Experience the excitement of Ontario racing with over $17 million in purses and programs. The Ontario Thoroughbred Improvement Program is loaded with TIP stakes, sales credits, purse bonuses, mare and foal incentives, and awards for both stallions and breeders. Visit TIP.OntarioRacing.com to learn more. That's TIP.OntarioRacing.com. It's time now to shine the spotlight on the Darley Taking the Reins Performer of the Week. With a furlong left, Magic Grand emerging third. Final 16th coming up. Otto the Conqueror now by ahead. Trying to battle back. Glenn Gary doing so at the rail. Otto the Conqueror has more left. And Otto the Conqueror will get it by a half length, winning the springboard. Otto the Conqueror. The appropriately named Otto the Conqueror, the Three Chimneys owned two year old by Darley Stallion Street Sense, once again conquered his competition to record his third win in four career starts with that victory in the springboard mile. A winning effort which makes him your Darley taking the reins performer of the week. Darley Stallion Street Sense, the sire of 12 career grade one winners, including Maxfield and Speaker's Corner, who stand alongside him at John Abel Farm. Just imagine. Learn more about Street Sense and all the Darley Stallions by visiting DarleyAmerica.com. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. Good night, Olive, carefully picking her way through some traffic, trying to swing toward the outside. CC has to go to the center of the track, still five from the front. Edgeway has a lead off the far turn. And here's Echo Zulu. And here's Goodnight Olive. Wicked Halo tries to get engaged, but still fourth and behind horses. CC fifth. Goodnight Olive, the leader. Goodnight Olive by two. Echo Zulu, then Wicked Halo. CC on the outside is fourth. Goodnight Olive. Iran Ortiz Jr., victorious in the Breeders' Cup. Philly and Mare Sprint, Echo Zulu second, Wicked Halo third, CC was across the line in fourth, one minute 21.61 seconds. 
Welcome back to the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires on this Saturday morning. Kurt Becker had the call of last year's Breeders' Cup Philly and Mare Sprint at Keeneland, and boy, was it a good one for Goodnight Olive, who rolled to victory. That victory would cement an Eclipse Award as champion uh, Philly sprinter last year for her, and she was so, so good throughout her entire 2022 campaign. She returned this year in the Grade 1 Madison at Keeneland. She won that race. She had a lot of trouble in her most recent race, the Derby City Distaff. We're going to talk about that coming up in just a minute as I welcome one of her owners, Steve Lehman of First Row Partners, and it has been quite a ride for him. Steve, good morning. Good morning, Mike. Thanks for having me on the show. We appreciate what you do. Uh, I, I appreciate you saying that. And, Steve, I appreciate Goodnight Olive. Thank you for buying her. What a fantastic <laughs> filly. You know, hearing that race call never gets old, Mike. It's been a lot of fun to have one like that in the barn. Let's start with that Philly and Mare sprint because I, I mentioned that was the final start of her 2022 campaign, and it was a brilliant campaign. But when you were sitting there at Keeneland and you're watching her roll the victory, put me there with you. What was the moment like? You know, Mike, the Breeders' Cup provided a box for us, of course, but it was pretty far close to the finish line, and there's so much chaos at the Breeders' Cup. I felt like we had a strong chance, so they provided seats for us closer to the winner's circle. And I'm kind of a suspicious jinx kind of guy. I was a baseball player, so don't don't like to get too close to the winner's circle. But we sat in the box, and I was there with my son and my wife and partners, and I leaned over to my son, and I said, Tyler, if she has the lead right here where we are, I don't think she'll get past. And sure enough, she had the lead. And just my response was to start walking to the winner's circle. It was really odd. It just it was just overcome, you know, and – it's so much, so much fun for your partners. First Row Partners is made up of, of six guys, including myself, and we're all – our connection is based in Saratoga where we've all got to know each other through the years, and, of course, all the partners were there. And it was just so much fun to have a big win with those guys. I've always said if you could take that feeling of winning a race, any race, certainly a Breeders' Cup race, and you could bottle it, Steve, this would be the easiest game in the world. There would be more people clamoring to get into thoroughbred racing than we could than we could handle. Sure, absolutely, it is. It's uh, you know, there's there's thrills. There's just something about it that just, you know, the, even the average guy can now participate in with the partnerships. You know, we started this this partnership, Mike. We've been so blessed. We started this partnership six years ago, and we take on partners like we do with Goodnight Olive Team Hanley Body and our friend Jay Hanley has been a wonderful partner in this horse and and we some own some of the horses by ourselves but we've been so blessed our our strike rate has been phenomenal thanks to the team i formed with uh liz crow helps buy our horses uh paul sharp tends to break our horses and uh, of course so my friend chad brown has just been phenomenal with what he does with our horses she is a graduate of the phasic tipton kentucky october sale and purchased for $170,000 as a yearling. What was it about her early on that stood out? You know, Mike, most of the time I make the sales, I feel like as the owner-manager of this group, that's that's part of my responsibility. Uh, prior to this partnership, I'd never had much luck with yearlings uh, buying. I uh, had bred, fortunately bred a, a few stakes winners. Uh, had done well with two-year-olds. I bought Day at the Spa. It was really the first horse I went out on my own and bought and took on partners there. Um, had good luck with her, obviously, winning the Breeders' Cup race and thought, you know, for an average guy, that's probably the top, you know, top of the food chain that I'll <laughs> ever get winning a Breeders' Cup race. And 
So I was actually in North Carolina when Liz called me, and she said, I have a ghost zapper I like. And I said, a ghost zapper? She said, yeah. She kind of gave me an idea what she thought the price range would be. I said, gosh, let's buy that. Let's buy that Philly. Well, about the time we made that decision, uh, Jay called Liz and said, I want you to look at a Philly for me. And it was this Philly. So that's how we became partners. And I had known Jay for several years. He had had horses in Chad's barn. And so Jay took a leg, and we kept the uh, kept the filly. And, you know, she had her issues early in her career. But, you know, as Chad said many times, we've been patient with her. And he, he has taught me patience through the years with these horses. If you're patient with them, give them time, a lot of times they will reward you. And that was the perfect – she's the perfect example of that patience. She debuts at Gulfstream March 7th of 21. She ends up finishing second that day, and then she just goes on an absolute tear and starts destroying the competition in every single race. What was Chad telling you uh, back in October of 21, November of 21, when she's just rolling through her conditions? You know, he's such a good assessment of talent, Mike. He told me before she ever ran, he said, this filly's very talented. He said, she reminds me of Garana, which was a, a multiple grade one ghost sapper that he had. But he's, his words were, me, were to me, he said, Steve, don't tell your partners <laughs> <laughs> because expectations grow very high. And then um, my son and I went down and met one of my partners, Martin Scheiman, uh, who lives close to Gulfstream in the, in the winter, went down for the race. And, of course, I ran rotor that day and. She got trapped inside again that day, and Irad got off and said, looked at me and said, you know, the post is what got me beat. So she ran a game race. But then when she started reeling off those maiden victories and allowance victories, and there was some stoppage along the way for, for ankles, and thank goodness Dr. Larry Bramlage is a wonderful surgeon. And the last time he, he did a surgery, he did two ankle surgeries on her, and the second time he actually called me, and he said, Steve, I believe I have her fixed. And, boy, he was just, just spot on. Yeah, fantastic stuff. Steve Lehman, the principal owner of First Row Partners, he and his partners involved with Goodnight Olive, along with their good friend Jay Hanley and Team Hanley. Goodnight Olive coming back in the grade two Better Roses at Belmont Park. It's race number nine later today, 519 Eastern. Uh, how many of the partners will be in attendance at Belmont? Uh, let's see. I think there will be probably four of us there. Um I think there'll be, there'll be four of us there on Saturday. You know, Mike, we've been we've been so blessed. Uh, First Row Partners and Team Haley had a Grade Two winner last Sunday. Uh, Philly named Prerequisite uh, won the Wonder again. We've Congratulations! Just been, thank you. We've been so fortunate. We, we, I just can't. I just can't. I never imagined when I put this group together. I guess this is our. I think we counted. This is our fifth year of racing, and. I typically buy four horses a year. Last year it was two. This year it's been five, but our average is about four. Mike, we've been so blessed. We have had three grade one winners, three grade two winners, two grade three winners, and that those grade stakes were spread among four horses. So we've Incredible. been we've been thoroughly, thoroughly blessed. Chad does such a marvelous job. I have such a good team. You know, a good team of partners scattered across the country. Uh, one of my other main partners, Will Robbins, lives in San Francisco. I have another partner that lives in Montana. One lives in Rhode Island, one in Virginia. But, again, the term first row comes from being in the first row boxes at Saratoga. 
I love it. That's where I started, too. I cut my teeth on racing at Saratoga growing up about an hour uh, east of there in Pittsfield, Massachusetts. And um, I didn't have a first row box. We had to sit at the picnic tables down the top of the stretch, but it was still a great vantage point. And there's just something about Saratoga that draws you to this sport, doesn't it? It does. It does. I sit in the box and I'm there, you know, still when I was practicing in North Carolina, I would still typically make 25 or 30 race days a year and always made an effort to get there because it was such a great time to be there. Such so much camaraderie and just happened to sit in the same box beside uh, one of my main partners, Marty Scheinman. And Marty leaned over to me about six years ago and said, I want to own horses with you. Been in the business for 40 years. And he saw that I was passionate about it and, Take, take it very serious, not add, try to you know structure this game as a business and had another partnership going. And finally, I just came to the two main partners, the other partner being Will Robbins. And I said, well, we need to put this together. And he said, I knew this was coming. <laughs> so it's worked out. It's worked out beautiful for us. Um, Chad does such a mar- marvelous job training and managing these horses. And like I said, Liz Crow buys our horses and we just we have just been blessed beyond imagination. Steve, I always hear people say that if you're looking to make money, you don't get into buying racehorses. Is it possible to own racehorses and still turn a profit? Well, I, when I started this, I wrote a business model. And the business model I put together is we buy only fillies. Um, I've never owned a filly that I wish was a colt except Goodnight Olive. Mm-hmm. Um, because the fillies do have some residual. Um, you know, we, we were lucky enough, first row partners with, uh, along with Hiddenbrook Farm owned a filly named Nay Lady Nay. And we bought her for 210, um, 210,000 at uh, OBS April a few years back. Her pedigree blew up on us. Uh, another, a great, graded stakes winner showed up in Europe. The stallion just went ballistic in Europe. It was actually Europe, an Irish bred filly. And we sold her for 1.7 million. Yeah. So, uh, so you can, uh, you're going to, Mike, you're going to buy more bad horses than good horses. I mean, that's just, the numbers just prove that. But with the Phillies, I think you have residual and you just hope that pedigree has a chance of developing. And if they do enough on the racetrack, they become very, 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 very valuable to the high end breeder. Bobby Flay once joined me for an interview uh, several years ago, and he explained his philosophy and his approach to the business. And it's very similar to yours. He, he prefers to buy only Phillies because of the reasons you just outlined, the residual value that most Phillies will possess. And, and I'm, I'm curious that when I hear people talk about that and approaching the game in that fashion, Steve, is there ever a part of you that knowing buying Phillies, you'll never have an opportunity to take a run at a race like the Kentucky Derby. Does that, does that somewhere in the back of your mind, kind of disappoint you a, a little bit good question mike i i don't think there's disappointment but i would love to win the kentucky oaks um yeah you know that that's a race on the radar but you know to me being involved in the game winning a breeder's cup race to me personally it would be is like winning the kentucky derby now to the casual fan the first thing they find out if you're in the horse business they ask have you ever won the derby <laughs> have you ever right. been in the derby so the casual to the casual fan, I think the Derby is more important than it is to the folks inside the business. That's just 
That's the way I believe. I've, I feel like first our partners sometime may. I don't think we'll buy Colts. We've had a couple mayors that we did not. They we felt like they had talent, but didn't be able to show that talent on the racetrack. Uh, so we've kept those. So we have two. We actually own two mayors. And so if one of those mayors threw a Colt, and maybe the Colt didn't bring the value that we thought he should, I could see us. I could see us maybe racing a Colt that way. So it could still but happen. Still, but Phillies, it's, it could still happen, but Phillies are definitely our focus. You talked about being superstitious, Steve, and you talked about being a baseball player. So I'm going to assume that you have a competitive edge to you somewhere in there. Um, how important is it for you and for the partners to have Goodnight Olive defend her championship title this year? You know, it's everything last year fell into place just as well as we you know, you're always looking down the road. You know, the trainer speak is one race at a time, and I try to keep my partners, you know, keep their feet on the ground. And so last year, one of my partners at the end of the season called me and said, you were off three days from your plan. I said, what do you mean three days? And he said, remember the stake at Saratoga was canceled? We had to go to an allowance race. That's the three days you missed. There's no <laughs> chance. <laughs> there's no chance. And and there, he said, there's no chance we can do that this year. And he said, you're right. I said, you're right. And so already the bad trip, you know, Derby Day kind of hurt, hurt us there. Uh, you know, we had the idea of maybe stretching her out into the Ogden Pips last week. And we just decided after that trip it wouldn't be maybe fair to her to put her in a, a different situation. So, um, so we decided to stay with the seven for a long race, but yes, is it competitive? We want to win that title, you know, and keep that title. Sure. That's just, that's just the nature of, I think anybody that has strong interest in the horse business has to have some competitive nature to them. Yeah. Her last start in the Derby city distaff was just abysmal, not and through any fault of her own, but she was trapped. She had nowhere to run. And she was, in my opinion, anyways, so much the best in that race. Do you think we might see Goodnight Olive stretch out at some point this year and, and maybe even tackle a horse like Clarier? You know, Clarier is a pretty special animal. Um, I don't I don't know, Mike. It it We really don't have a plan past this race. We just want to see how this race goes. And, and Chad said that himself. I really don't have a plan. I mean, we've, we've kicked around some ideas, but the trouble was so great in that last trip. It was funny. Well, I'm at the draw for the Breeders' Cup, Mike, and – you know, it's a full field of, I think it's 13, if I remember correctly. I think it's a full, it's a full, it's a field of 13. And I'm sitting there at the post draw with my son and my partners, and there's some pen and paper laying on the table, I think it was. And I just wrote down a number and I circled it and I turned it over. And the guy across from the table for me was a reporter from, from Europe. And he said, you're here for the post draw. And I said, yeah, he said, I'm covering for Europe. He said, who would you like to draw? And I turned that paper over and showed him post eight. Well, sure enough, wow, we drew we drew post eight. And I thought my son was going to turn over his chair. <laughs> <laughs> this year has not been quite so fortunate because, of course, we drew the we drew the two posts at the Derby Day, and of course, we drew the one post this week. But hopefully, in a field of five, you know, we'll figure. She'll, you know, I'd rather be able to figure out a, a better trip than last time. Yeah, she's six to five on the morning line. And you and I were talking off air before we began the conversation, Steve. And, you know, it's it's never easy 
Um, a horse can get in trouble in a five horse field just as easily as they can get in trouble in a 12 or a 13 horse field. But you do have the great connections and Arad Ortiz Jr. So, so good. And good night. Olive has plenty of tactical speed. Well, she'll be in a good position. You would assume with any kind of break. And, uh, you know, she certainly looks like she could be a handful for that field later today. Well, let's, let's hope so. The, she had a tendency, Mike, early in her career when they opened the gate to break out. And she kind of figured that out. And if you look back at her race, the ballerina, the allowance, especially the allowance races, Saratoga prior to the ballerina, even if you go back and look at the Breeders' Cup, she is such a quick breaker. At the Breeders' Cup, she was almost, they're, they're not 20 yards out of the gate, and she's already a length in front. But Irad tells me she's so smart and so responsive that she comes right back to him after she breaks. But unfortunately, the Churchill race, she showed that habit of breaking out again. And so she kind of got bumped around just a little bit. So that didn't give Irad that chance to be forwardly placed to where he might not have been trapped in as much as he was. So I'm hoping she'll, hoping she'll resort to that better breaking habit. But if you want, I, I always enjoy watching that overhead shot that you don't get very often. Mm-hmm. But in the Breeders' Cup, they give that overhead shot. If you ever get a chance, look at that. She was she just broke like a rocket that day. But then she came right back to Irad and made that nice big move. Steve, how'd you first fall in love with racing? Uh, <laughs> didn't have a lot of exposure to horses in North Carolina, Mike. I, um, I was invited to the Preakness in 1989. And saw Sunday Silence and Easy Goer. And I knew there was something to that. Um, you know, the more I read how competitive that race was. So I went to the Preakness every year. Uh, enjoyed that. Started going to a few Breeders' Cup races and um, decided there was more to it than that. And got involved with Dogwood Stable uh, uh, probably 30 years ago. And started with Dogwood Stable and you know, it was a great learning curve. Cotton and Campbell were two of the greatest ambassadors of the sport. Mm-hmm. And decided there might be a little more to that. And my wife has a cousin named John Eaton, who's one of the partners in First Row Partners. And she said, John's always been interested in, in horses. So I just randomly picked up the phone, called John. He was practicing in Atlanta. I was practicing in North Carolina. And we talk every day, <laughs> just about since then. So he was more into the breeding end. I was more into the racing end. And we kind of put our energies together, started breeding a few horses, and it just kind of progressed from there. That's a great story. One last question yeah. before I let you go, Steve. Good night, Olive. Where'd the name come from? Oh, that's uh, Google. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sitting here fooling around one night on my iPad. And you know, it's always fun to name the horses. And, and my wife is a former English teacher, so she always give her, I always give her the veto on any name we come up with. <laughs> and, you know, and I always let partners have a, you know, have a chance. You know, you try, you try. You know, we always kind of say, yeah, that's a great name. And so I Googled, I Googled the word ghost. And, I, and because the mayor's name, the mayor's name is a salty strike. I Googled salty ghost and up popped this story about a lady named Olive Thomas. And she was a Broadway flapper, died a very young age in her early twenties. And she actually, the, the, the story is she haunts the new Amsterdam theater on Broadway. 
And so there's actually a picture of Olive Thomas in that theater. Mm. So when I looked, when I read the story, the story goes that Olive was always a men always enjoyed Olive's company. So when men are in that men are at the theater, if they don't recognize her in some way with looking at the picture or something, she tends to haunt them. The story is that they've actually lost employees over this. But the very last part of the line, the very last part of the story says, when you leave the theater, you better say goodnight, Olive. Wow. I love <laughs> it. I love it. That is so creative. Yeah. That so is actually, so cool. I have partners who've gone to the theater and had their picture made with, with her picture. <laughs> so at first, the security guards thought uh, my partner, Will Robbins, who works, part, works, works in New York, between New York and San Francisco, went in to do that. And my son went by to do it with his wife. And they, they were like, what? And finally, now they've caught on. So as soon as we walk in, oh, this is the one you named the horse after. <laughs> so it's been, it's been a lot of fun. But it's a, I'll have to email you this story. It's a, it's a pretty intriguing, it's a pretty intriguing story. But the, the end of the story says, end of the story, you know, you have, you always supposed to say when you leave the theater, good night, Olive. So I just thought that was a perfect horse name. Yeah. Please email me that. I'd love to read it, Steve. And yeah. one thing's for sure. Good night. Olive has haunted the competition throughout much of her <laughs> nine race career as well. Let's hope she does it again today in the bed of roses. I can't thank you enough for taking some time. And uh, it was a, a great visit. Good luck with good night. Olive, not just today, but going forward in her title defense throughout the season. Thank you, Mike. That title of fence sounds real good to me. I hope we can pull it off. <laughs> All right. Steve Lehman, First Row Partners here on the Horse Racing Radio Network. When I come back, I'll take a look at a couple of historical dates in racing history and get you ready for the third hour of today's program. This is the Equine Forum on the Horse Racing Radio Network. Woodford Feed, where tradition merges with technology. Family-owned since 1940 and providing exceptional customer service, Woodford Feed specializes in the highest quality feed, using only the finest ingredients to ensure optimal nutrition for your horses. In addition, Woodford Feed can help with all your farm needs, including field seed, fertilizer, and weed control. So whether your horse is sprinting around the racetrack or has a foal by her side, count on Woodford Feed to provide the quality nutrition necessary to perform at the highest level. Woodford Feed for Sales Kentucky. Fans don't miss opening day, the day after Christmas at spectacular Santa Anita. Come early for our classic meet opener on Tuesday, December 26th, with first post time at 11 a.m. and the mission gates will open at 9 a.m. As always, our traditional wall calendar is free of charge with paid admission, and you can also get a Mathis Home plush toy horse with a $10 donation that will go to Karma to benefit retired racehorses. Join us for an unforgettable day of world-class racing with six graded stakes headed by the great one $300,000 Malibu, the Grade 1 La Brea, and the Grade 1 American Oaks. They'll be complemented by three Grade 2 events, the Mathis Mile, the San Antonio, and the San Gabriel. Bring the family. Santa Anita's infield area will be open on December 26th, December 30th, and 31st, as well as on New Year's Day. Infield admission is $5, which includes parking and program. Again, come early on opening day. First post time is at 11 a.m. Santa Anita. It's the great race place. Did you know half of all cats in the United States don't see a vet on a regular basis? Hi, I'm Kat Dennings and I love cats. Like really, really love them. Seriously. That's why I'm here to ask you to take your cat to the vet each and every year. I'm working with Royal Canin and Orphan Kitten Club in their program Mighty Cat, the first brand program in the world to protect and care for newborn kittens. For the Take Your Cat to the Vet initiative, which encourages cat owners across the country to schedule annual vet visits. 
Since it's tricky to decode our cat's behavior, it is super important to collaborate with your veterinarian to uncover any potential illnesses and learn the signs that something could be wrong. As pet owners, it is our responsibility to make sure cats of all ages have a chance to live a full and happy life by providing the care they need and deserve. Visit orphankittenclub.org forward slash mighty cat to learn more. Want to get the latest HRRN content directly on your computer or mobile device? Then subscribe to our podcast using the Podbean app or Apple Podcasts. Just go to hrrn.podbean.com on your computer and click follow or download the Podbean app and search HRRN. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts and listen to our latest episodes anytime. Don't miss a thing. Subscribe to our podcasts today. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. Two hours down, one to go on this best of edition of the Equine Forum. Merry Christmas, happy holidays to everyone across HRRN Nation. Hour three is coming up next, right after I pause 10 seconds for station identification. This is the Horse Racing Radio Network, where racing comes to talk. This is HRRN, Horse Racing's Voice. But there's one for long to go. Two fills, fights on. But Mage has taken the lead. Angel of Empires are rallying third. Time is running out to catch Mage. Mage digs down deep, urged onto the wire. Onto the wire to win the Derby! And head-to-head with a furlong left to go. Mage has to quicken up from third. Blazing Sevens, National Treasure, National Treasure fighting back on the inside. Blazing Sevens on the outside. Blazing Sevens, National Treasure. Oh, what a preakness! It's National Treasure who gets the lead late. Welcome to the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires. It is Archangelo with the lead. Archangelo in front, trying to hold on for the final 50 yards. And it's Archangelo to win the test of the champion. It is Archangelo, and it is a monumental victory. Here comes Cody's wish. A monster of national treasure. Cody's wish takes the lead. Cody's wish and national treasure coming down to the line. Fighting back national treasure. Welcome back. Hour number three of the Equine Forum presented by Twin Spires. I hope that you are enjoying this best of edition of the program on this Christmas weekend edition of the show. Um, If you missed the first couple of hours, I've been looking back. If you're just tuning in, I've been looking back at some of my favorite moments from this show over the past 12 months or so. And you got a chance to hear from trainer Jenna Antonucci. You got a chance to hear from Hall of Fame jockey Javier Castellano, Major League Baseball players Rob Murphy and Alex Bregman, John Sheriffs looking back on the great Senyata, and Steve Lehman as well talking about Goodnight Olive and telling a fantastic story about how she got her name. If you missed any of that, you can head back to the website when we finish up at 11 o'clock Eastern and you can listen to the podcast horseracingradio.net and horseracing radio network on every single podcast platform just type it in and you can listen to us all year long every single week throughout the year with all the great content we bring your way including this past wednesday's trainer talk show where i spent 
a full 30 minutes visiting with trainer Chad Brown. Got into a lot of different topics with Chad. I think you're really going to enjoy that. Make sure you check that out at horseracingradio.net. All right, Hour 3 begins with a special edition of the Twin Spires Triple Play. Joe Christofek, Scott Shapiro, talking betting strategies. As I mentioned, Joe and Scott both with me here today. And, guys, really looking forward to this. It's a, you know, a quieter weekend on the racing front. And I said, you know what, let's, let's take a look at some different strategies and dive into some different betting angles. And you guys, people get to see you all the time on TV, whether it's Fairgrounds or Churchill or wherever it might be. And now they get a chance to hear you together talking betting strategies here on HRN. And I think this is really cool. So, Joe, good morning. Scott, good morning. Uh, yeah, good morning, Mike. Looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, good morning, Mike. Uh, we're at Ellis now as well. People might be tired of hearing us talk to each other, but uh, this will be a little bit of a different twist. Hopefully we can make it a uh, worthwhile conversation for everybody listening. Okay, so I asked you guys to select a few topics that you wanted to dive into, some of your favorite wagers, some of the different approaches that you like to take when you sit down to handicap and and one of the, well, a couple of the ones we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about pick fours and pick fives and how you guys like to approach those wagers. Um, Scott, you talked about king price horses and trifectas and supers and Joe win wagers and, you know, trying to, uh, trying to pick the spots that offer good value. So we're going to talk about all of this over the course of the next 20 minutes or so. Scott, let me ask you, pick fours, pick fives. Give me your overview of those wagers and why you like them. Yeah, Mike, that's certainly the uh, most exciting wagers for me to get involved in and have been for some time, pick fours and pick fives. I think one thing before I talk about the positives, I think one of the negatives is, and I've been known to have this happen over the years, is maybe getting too stuck on playing the pick fours and pick fives, looking for that big big score instead of maybe taking the card as it is. And if it, fits a certain profile, then you're playing pick fours or certain one, maybe pick five. So one thing I would say before getting into all the positives is make sure it's the right sequence for you. Don't be married to playing a pick four, pick five every race or every, every day on a certain card or at a certain venue. I think that can go the wrong way, but uh, you know, the combination of being able to invest semi a little and, and earn a lot. And then the kind of contrarian uh, type views or contrarian type strategies you can have in a pick four or pick five uh, really has always been fun for me. I've always been a, uh, I've played a lot of fantasy football over the years and, and fantasy sports. And uh, it's kind of a similar approach where you're looking for some contrarian ideas along the way, but more important than anything, you're looking to be right. So I think just the approach of, of, of what it takes after you handicap a card and con- constructing tickets that are not going to be the same as the public has always been very appealing to me. All right, so from that mindset then, when you sit down to look at a pick four or pick five, how do you determine if it's the right sequence? Well, for a pick four, I'm really going to try not to play a pick four unless I really think there's a good chance that I can be probably three favorites, maybe if it's two shorter ones, two. You see sequences in pick fours nowadays with the 50-cent denomination where you can catch a 10-to-1 along the way, but if you're you know, singling or hitting a horse that the majority of the people are using, it's just too easy to spread a little bit in these pick fours. And I think you get kind of underlaid payouts at times. But when you're able to beat three favorites, I think that comes, uh, that twists around a little and gives you a better chance for a more realistic payday. 
That being said, if I do think there's more logical, some horses that I can lean on in the sequence and be confident in whether they're, you know, four to five or three to one or four to one, you know, then I'm going to look towards a pick five. So pick four more if I think it's going to be chaotic, want to get more coverage. Maybe the pick five ticket is a little outside my budget. And a pick five if I have a little bit more strong opinion with horses that I think are probably going to take a lion's share of the money or be a very common single. Mm, that's interesting. I'm writing all of this down because I can tell you guys that I am not a very good pick four, pick five player. I have only won a couple of those wagers in my entire life. I don't play them very often anymore because I, I was having such little success. But what you just said, Scott, makes a lot of sense to me. Joe, how about for you? Do you take that same approach with those wagers? Well, I would say for me, Mike, working at uh, Churchill and Ellis and Fairgrounds, uh, I will dive into multi-race wagers, and I do have people that I utilize as betting partners to try to get a little bit more coverage in some of these bets. Like Scott said, though, when the timing is right, like I think it's important if you're going to take these kinds of wagers or any wager seriously. Sometimes you just wake up in the morning and you want action. You want to have fun. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you're going to really focus on, you know, multi-race wagers, particularly the pick five, like Scott mentioned, and whether or not you use the AB, ABC approach or do caveman tickets and maybe try to hit it more than once if it looks like a chalky sequence, I think it's really important to put the necessary time and effort into it. There's a big difference between handicapping races and constructing tickets. And I sometimes feel like I don't have the kind of time necessary to, you know, handicapping. I put hours and hours and hours into it. It's my job and it's important for me to give the best information possible to the public. But when it comes to my own betting, I, I just feel sometimes I don't have the time to really uh, break it down and construct the way that I feel it's necessary to hit on a more consistent basis. So I'll be playing Keeneland. I'll be playing Kentucky Downs. You know, when I'm not working, I tend to play those tracks, particularly, you know, within my circuit, you know, even stronger. I think in racing, no matter what bet you're making, you want to try to take advantage of opportunities and you want to try to put as much effort into it as possible because it, if you're, it, there's two different things. If you're, if you're just playing for action, if you're actually trying to play to make money. And, you know, there, there's definitely a difference there. And anybody can get lucky with a terrible ticket construction, et cetera, et cetera, or just having the stars align for them. Uh, but to me, putting in the time to handicap it, even more so putting in the time to properly construct your tickets uh, is extremely important. Joe, you're a big fan of, of being prepared but also being flexible, and it sounds like that might be what you're alluding to here as well when you start looking at you know, the, the sequences and the structuring the tickets. You threw a term out there, and I'm going to admit it. I am not familiar with this, so I'm going to ask you to explain it. You said a caveman ticket. What's a caveman ticket? Well, a caveman ticket is just when you're you know, going one, two, you know, say you've you're, you're, you got to pick five and you go one, two, three, in the first race, one, two, three, four, five, seven in the second race, you know, singling the one in the third race versus using the, you know, more modern A, B, A, B, C approach where it's far more complicated. You need ticket maker uh, or a similar type software to help you put it together 
But a K-Man ticket is just basically using all your numbers where the ABABC system is weighting them more with your A's being more powerful uh, than your B's being far more popular than your C's. So uh, that K-Man ticket is just basically using all the numbers and not weighting them accordingly. Okay, so that is great information, and that is something that that was a fantastic explanation, by the way, because I think my approach has always been more along the lines of the ABC approach, where I do kind of weight some horses' chances of winning uh, much stronger than others, and I, I kind of tear them down from there. So wonderful explanation, Joe. Being prepared but also flexible. I'm sure that's something that both of you do on a daily basis when you're really going to be playing the races. So I'll throw it out to both of you. Joe, if you want to start because it was kind of your term, uh, and I'll let both of you talk about the importance of being prepared but also being flexible. What do you do there? You you just have to be in tune to what's going on. So, you know, most of the time if you're doing this right, you're handicapping the races at least the night before, the morning before. You're putting in – however many hours it takes you to do it. I have a DRF formulator. I've got notes uh, that I can fall back on, but you're also watching replays. You're trying to figure out, you know, the pace of the race, but then the race day starts and you're like, okay, now we got scratches. Now we got uh, a track that's playing forwardly. Now we got a track that's favoring horses on the outside. You've got turf, you've got dirt. You just need to be able to adjust on the fly. And sometimes you go into a card saying, man, I absolutely love this card. And then it just doesn't play out the way you thought. And sometimes you go into a card saying, man, I really don't like this card. And then opportunities present themselves. You know, maybe you get a workout report that gives you a little bit of inside information, or you could take advantage of a track bias or a horse opens up you know, super chilly on the tote board that you thought would get bad and you're against that horse to begin with and you can take advantage of hammering exactas with horses that you do like. You just, you just have to be flexible in this game. It's like going into a football game with a game plan and then the defense takes something away from you and you're able to call audibles on the fly. Uh, that's, a, that's a big part of being successful in this game. Mm. Scott? Yeah, no, I, I, you know, echo Joe's sentiment on being flexible, a little bit more difficult if you're playing a pick four, pick five to practice some, a couple of things I'm about to mention on top of what Joe mentioned. One, track biases that uh, develop over the course of a card. You know, you might go in thinking races have a lot of speed and you want to play closers, but when you find out that the track is a, basically a merry-go-round, very speed-favoring, you've got to be able to adapt. Now, if you, you know, play an early pick five and after three races, you notice that the track speed favoring and not much you can do about it, but in terms of betting the win within the races or starting sequences, and you have that kind of information being flexible with that. And then, you know, the main way I think of being flexible speaks more to the wind pool or, you know, in race pools, vertical wagers, where you have a little bit more information at your hand on what your payouts might be. I know there's a lot of discussion and discuss to an extent about, you know, late money that comes in from the computers. But that being said, there are ways to kind of determine, you know, which horses are going to take that money. That would be a whole different conversation. But knowing, you know, I thought this horse was going to be 8-1 to one and he's 20-1. to one. Well, I gave him, you know, a good shot at 8-1. to one. I've got to consider a win bet here, even though I only picked him for third or fourth. And I know Joe and I and public handicappers give out top selections that we get married to to an extent with our statistics and, you know, some public perception. 
But if you're gambling correctly, whether you're us on air or your people sitting at home, you want to be adaptable based on the prices that you're going to get paid on top of all the other things. That's Scott Shapiro. Joe Christofak is with him, two of the most dedicated and really talented handicappers and horse players that I know anyway. And this is the Twin Spires triple play. Bit of a different twist on it today. Instead of giving you three horses you can keep an eye on and go bet at twinspires.com, we are visiting with Joe and Scott to talk handicapping strategies and talk about some of the ways that they approach the game when they start to look at a card. Okay, how about... Scott, you brought this up to me um, before we started the program here today, and you said keying price horses in trifectas and superfectas. You're speaking my language there because I love to play (laughs) trifectas. So tell me more about that. Well, I think one thing, you know, kind of going back to the pick fours and pick fives that everybody loves to play, including myself, that have become such a major part of what horse players do and what they talk about. You know, you can kind of miss out on some opportunities by thinking too much about who's going to win the race and less about where there might be some value. So maybe there's a four to five shot that you think can't lose and you're thinking, ah, well, how do I, how do I make the most of this uh, even though I think the four to five is going to win? You know, the pick four, pick five is probably not the way. So maybe looking for a price horse that can, you can key in the back end and you're not necessarily marrying yourself, keying your the four to five shot, yet you're not fading them as well. So I think it's just an alternative view of finding value in a race. There's a lot of horses we know that are a little bit camera shy. Some of them take too much money kind of to fit this, this kind of thought that I have, Mike, but some of them don't. Some of them, you know, might not get the honest pace they need or they never really have enough of a late run to run down the entire field, but they're going to be 15 to one. They're going to provide value underneath. So maybe thinking of it, things alternatively, and I know some horse players do this, but I kind of speak to myself for many, many years. I was just married to the idea of horizontal wagers and, you know, who's going to win the race. And, you know, maybe this isn't the right race to bet because I like the favorite, et cetera. Well, finding value horses underneath can certainly be a springboard. And again, like I said, you're not marrying yourself to the favorite to win the race, but yet you're not fading that horse as well. So I just think it's another way to look at races that I found to be a pretty uh, successful way to do so in the right spot. One of the recurring themes that I'm hearing from this discussion, and I really do appreciate both of you taking time to do this for our listeners and for horse players all over the world that are they're tuning into the Twin Spires Triple Play this morning. One of the themes seems to me to be flexibility. And correct me if I'm wrong, Scott, but it, it would seem that to not get married to a specific wager and playing that same wager every single race just because it's your favorite bet is ultra important to being successful. You have to use all of the different wagers at your disposal if you're going to be successful in this game. Is, is that right? That's absolutely right, Mike. It's something that it's easy to fall into, you know, the allure of the pick five or the pick six like Joe's speaking of and you know, you get, especially if you hit one, you know, along the way that pays a lot, it's hard to get out of chasing that wager. But if you want to be a successful horse player, you've got to use the wagers at your disposal that match your opinion. So maybe that means, you know, you have three plays on the day and they're all cold doubles because you're very confident in the second choice in one race and the third in another other days. Okay. I'm against a few favorites. I don't have a strong opinion who to beat them with. I want to get some coverage. Well, that might be a day to play the pick four. Maybe there's a day where you just like two horses a lot. They're all they're both going to be in the four to one, six to one range. 
Nothing wrong with just a win bet on those days and maybe a little pick three where you're getting coverage and singling those horses. So I couldn't agree more with what you said. Okay, we have about two minutes left before I have to wrap up the segment, get to the commercial break, and then Kurt Becker's stroll through racing history coming up next. But uh, let me end it this way, guys. I'm sure that being on television, being around the track every day, you get fans that come up to you and they ask you for advice on handicapping, on betting. So, Joe, I'll start with you. What is your favorite piece of advice you like to give to other handicappers when they approach you? Well, I love this question. I talked to you about this earlier, Mike, about doing a whole segment on fan development, et cetera. And I think the people that love this game and want it to succeed, one of their biggest flaws is they talk about takeout and they talk about, you know, how the experienced handicapper, you know, gets, gets screwed to a certain extent. Uh, in some areas of the sport. And I completely, completely agree with that. But the newcomer that's coming into this game doesn't understand all that. You just don't go from learning how to add to, to calculus. So when somebody new's coming into the game, let them get their feet wet. Don't give them a hard time about the way they construct their tickets. You know, let them bet win, place, and show. Let them learn how to bet a 2-4 with one two four seven exacta. Let them learn how to construct tickets little by little. Let them learn how to have some success. And don't criticize people for the way they play. Let them graduate to that. Let them taste some success. Uh, Because if people start jumping into pick fours and pick fives right off the bat, they're not going to win and they're going to leave. So that would be my biggest piece of advice to someone coming into the game. Get your feet wet. Learn how to play the simple wagers. Take it step by step. And when you handicap and watch a race, no matter if you're right or wrong, understand why the result happened. Even if we don't have the right opinion, nine times out of ten you can look back at a race and say, all right, I understand why that happened, learn from it, and move forward. Scott? Yeah, for me, maybe more advanced levels, not for beginners, but just in general, leverage your strongest opinions. If you have $100 that you're going to the racetrack with, it doesn't mean, and there's ten races, you don't need to take out $10 for every race. Depending on where your strongest opinions are, use your, your higher, a higher percent of your budget. That could be mean your strongest opinion could be in race one. You may have to bet half your budget right away. Same could be said for if your strongest opinions are in race eight and race nine on a 10-horse card. You've got to learn to be patient. Sure, everyone likes action bets of a couple dollars here or there, but make sure you're leveraging your strongest opinions both with your budget and then in the wagers you make. Scott Shapiro, Joe Christofek, two outstanding, very dedicated handicappers. And, guys, I really appreciate you taking time to do this today. Uh, I mentioned that earlier. It's been a lot of fun. And uh, at some point, Joe, we're going to have that conversation about creating new fans and and true fans for thoroughbred racing. Yeah, looking forward to that. Uh, you got to water the seed, and I don't think we do uh, nearly as good enough job in this industry as we can. We've got a lot of other issues to worry about, Mike, but uh, – I like more people who love the game half as much as we do. Okay, and of course, if you're making any wagers on any races today, you know what to do. Head over to TwinSpires.com and bet them there. You will find all kinds of special offers, and you will find a great platform to play the races at TwinSpires.com. Joe, Scott, appreciate it, gentlemen. Have a wonderful weekend, and good luck at the windows. Thanks, Mike. 
You got it, Mike. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right, coming up next, Kurt Becker takes you on his weekly stroll through racing history. And Dale and Tim going to be with me at 1030 for I Ask, They Answer. This is the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires on HRRN. Race to Twin Spires, where you can unlock a $25 risk-free bet. Just use the code HRRN25 when you sign up. And if your first bet doesn't win, Twin Spires will refund your account up to $25. Wagering on the app is fast with free pass performances, insider picks, and power plays every day you wager. Twin Spires. Download the app today to earn your $25 risk-free bet. Void where prohibited. For terms and conditions, visit TwinSpires.com. Must be 18 or older, 21 and older where applicable. For help with a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Get ready for non-stop excitement at Laurel Park. Immerse yourself in heart-pounding live racing. Indulge in mouth-watering culinary delights and soak in the thrill of our electrifying events. Whether you're a diehard racing fan or just out for a day of fun with loved ones, Laurel Park promises an unforgettable experience no matter the season. Don't let the excitement pass you by. Head to laurelpark.com now for all the thrilling details. That's laurelpark.com. Airdrie Stud is proud to announce the arrival of Grade 1 winning millionaire Happy Saver for the 2023 season. Happy Saver boasts one of the most important female families of the century, as his third dam is Broodmare of the Year weekend surprise, dam of the legendary AP Indy. Undefeated in his first five starts, Happy Saver capped off his perfect 4-for-4 four four season with an emphatic victory in the historic Grade 1 Jockey Club Gold Cup. And Happy Saver stays undefeated. He steps up and he wins the Grade 1. Jockey Club Gold Cup. Airdrie Studs. Happy Saver. Think about it. There's a corner of Kentucky in Bourbon County, which some refer to as the promised land. There's something in the soil and water that make it something special. So special that some of the world's greatest horsemen have staked their claim in the soil just outside of Paris. Iconic names such as Claiborne, Coolmore, Stone, and Darling grace the fence lines which have housed champions for generations. The name Alapa shines as a tribute to the Gilded Age, sharing the stature and grandeur of its neighbors. Born from the wealth, passion, and imagination of Edward Sims, no expense was spared to fulfill his vision. Sims was in the same league as John Madden and Arthur B. Hancock Sr. as a commercial breeder. The torch has been passed. Welcome to Hill and Dale at Alapa. Horse of the Year candidate, Elite Power. Sackey's Warrior makes his move on the outside. Elite Power on the front outside. And Elite Power gets up to win the sprint. Elite Power is moving clear and going to take the rear turn sprint by a widening margin. Five line ball is hitting at 
It was June 9, 1973, when Secretariat won the 105th running of the Belmont Stakes by 31 lengths and became horse racing's ninth Triple Crown winner. It has been called one of the most dominating performances in sports history. A Virginia bred by 1957 Horse of the Year Bold Ruler, Secretariat was a homebred raced by the Meadow Stable of Penny Chinnery. Quebec native Lucian Lauren was the trainer, while fellow Canadian Ron Turcott of New Brunswick was the jockey, wearing the Meadow Stable's blue and white block pattern silks. The groom was Eddie Sweat of Holly Hills, South Carolina. The horse's exercise riders were George Charlie Davis, also of Holly Hills, and Jimmy Gaffney of Columbus, Ohio. With the Kentucky Derby and Preakness Stakes already to his credit, and with a Horse of the Year title from his juvenile campaign the prior year, Secretariat stood in Barn 5, Stall 7 on Belmont morning when night watchman Clem Kenyon gave him a quart of oats to start his day. The time was 3.56 a.m. Assistant trainer Henry Hefner of Long Island and stable foreman Ted McLean of Paris, Kentucky arrived at 5.12 a.m., followed by Sweat at 5.40 and Lauren at 6.02. This is all known because a writer from Newsday stood nearby, recording each moment for posterity. Later that afternoon, Penny Chenery took a seat in box A-17 in the Belmont Park Grandstand. At 5.10 p.m. in the stable area, the announcement came that it was time for the horses in the eighth race, the Belmont Stakes, to head to the paddock. At 5.30, track announcer Dave Johnson, CBS Radio's Ray Haight, and Chick Anderson of CBS Television all picked up their binoculars to study the five horses which were about to contest the Belmont. At 5.38 Eastern Time, the race began, and by the time the horses reached the final turn, Anderson sounded nearly in disbelief as he described Secretariat's history-making run to the finish. Secretariat is widening now. He is moving like a tremendous machine. Secretariat by 12. Secretariat by 14 lengths on the turn. Sham is dropping back. It looks like they'll catch him today as Mike Allen and Vice Prince are both coming up to him now. But Secretariat is all alone. He's out there almost a sixteenth of a mile away from the rest of the horses. Secretariat is in a position that seems impossible to catch. He's into the stretch. Secretariat leads his field by 18 lengths. And now Twice a Prince has taken second, and Mike Gallant has moved back to third. They're in the stretch. Secretariat has opened a 22-length lead. He is going to be the Triple Crown winner. Here comes Secretariat to the wire. An unbelievable, an amazing performance. He hits the finish. 25 in front. During the gallop out, Anderson called it an amazing, unbelievable performance by this miracle horse. Adding, this most magnificent animal has today run the most sensational Belmont Stakes in the history of this race. The final time, 2 minutes 24 seconds, had shattered the stakes and track record as well as the North American record for a mile and a half on the dirt by better than 2 full seconds. Edwin Pope, writing in the Miami Herald, said, When New Yorkers leap and cheer at anything, that is history in itself. The performance made madmen of normally sedate spectators. Frank Dolson of the Philadelphia Inquirer said, The country needed a hero, and Secretariat was it. This was the noble beast that knocked Watergate off the covers of two national news magazines in one week. And now everyone knew. Superhorse 
was for real. Writing in the Louisville Times, Mike Berry said that Secretariat had left hardened race trackers speechless. He then added, it was more than a horse race. This was an emotional experience, an exhibition of greatness. Gazing upon Secretariat in the winner's circle, Penny Chenery said, quote, I love him, but at the same time, I am in awe of him. I am in awe of his size, his good looks, his power, end quote. But maybe Ron Turcott said it best with just four words. He's the complete horse. We remember Secretariat, winner of the Belmont Stakes and the Triple Crown some 50 years ago. Please join me again next week when I take another stroll through racing history presented by Keeneland. For HRRN, I'm Kurt Becker. And once again, my thanks to Kurt and to Keeneland for making those segments possible each and every week. If you have missed any of Kurt's Stroll Through Racing History segments, all you have to do is head back over to our website, horseracingradio.net. You can check out the special podcast page dedicated to those stories and listen to every single one. There have been some amazing ones. Go back and listen at horseracingradio.net. When I come back, Del Romans, Tim Wilkin, they will be here. It is this week's edition of I Ask, They Answer. This is the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires on HRRN. Race to Twin Spires, where you can unlock a $25 risk-free bet. Just use the code HRRN25 when you sign up. And if your first bet doesn't win, Twin Spires will refund your account up to $25. Wagering on the app is fast with free pass performances, insider picks, and power plays every day you wager. Twin Spires. Download the app today to earn your $25 risk-free bet. Void where prohibited. For terms and conditions, visit TwinSpires.com. Must be 18 or older, 21 and older where applicable. For help with a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. There are plenty of thrills at Gulfstream Park with live thoroughbred action Friday through Sunday and simulcasting seven days a week. Join us on track for weekend stakes races, dine trackside in 10 ponds with an elevated view of the track, and grab a cool cocktail in the Carousel Club. For reservations, tickets, and more, head to GulfstreamPark.com. The Maryland thoroughbred industry. For over 200 years, the innovative leader. Maryland was the first to have organized racing in North America and the first to establish a state breeders association. Maryland created the first thoroughbred yearling show, the first state magazine, the first state breeder incentive development program, the first international race to feature horses from four continents, and the first million dollar one day stallion stakes event. The Maryland thoroughbred industry is the innovative leader. A grade one winner of nearly $2 million, Silver State hails from the sire line of legendary Claiborne Stallion Danzig. And his second dam is full sister to Kentucky Derby winner Monarcos. After winning the Oaklawn Handicap, Silver State defeated Nick's Go in the grade one Metropolitan Handicap. 130 40, 130 pound 40, Roger, 140 pounds on. PC, 120,000. Grade one winner Silver State standing at Claiborne Farm. This is I Ask, They Answer on the Equine Forum on HRRN. I don't feel that I am back at the top, but I feel that the white horse is. I'm just hanging around him. As soon as I get stables like Todd and Chad, then I'll feel like I'm back on the top. But right now, I just feel like I'm lucky to be around him. I feel he's on the top. 
And I love being around good horses like that. It just makes you feel like a good horseman, you know, and that's always what I wanted to be. That's trainer Rick Dutrow following White Abario's victory in last Saturday's Breeders' Cup Classic. The quote-unquote white horse is certainly sitting on top of the racing world, but is he the horse of the year? Plus, are the post-Breeders' Cup fines and suspensions handed out to two champion jockeys justified? And with several Breeders' Cup runners scratched by the veterinary panel, is it possible the industry has gone too far? Those topics and much, much more are straight ahead on this week's edition of I Ask, They Answer with trainer Dale Romans and turf writer Tim Wilkin. And it's all presented by the University of Louisville Equine Industry Program in the College of Business. And it all starts just 30 seconds from right now. Learn the business of horses in the world's only accredited equine business program, the University of Louisville Equine Business Program. The University of Louisville has a legacy of excellence educating and developing industry leaders for over 35 years. Classes are taught by industry experts in state-of-the-art facilities located in the heartland of America's equine industry. The University of Louisville Equine Business Program. When it comes to horses, we mean business. For more information, visit business.louisville.edu slash equine. All right, guys, we begin with our first topic, and this one involves a couple of the sport's most prolific jockeys who were in the headlines following their Breeders' Cup victories this past weekend. And we start with British champion Ryan Moore, who slipped through along the rail on Auguste Rodin to win the Breeders' Cup turf in what many were calling one of the great rides in Breeders' Cup history, but it came with a hefty price tag as Santa Anita stewards slapped Ryan with a fine of $20,800 for striking Auguste Rodin seven times with the whip, one over the six-strike limit. The fine is the largest in California history. Here's what Moore had to say about his trip. Uh, going the rail was like plan F, really, but um, it was making the most of the opportunities as they presented themselves. My horse was getting a bad trip, and I think he won because he's so good. Um, like I made the right call, but um, it could have been the wrong call as well. But because I had so much horse, he was able to overcome things, and and uh, you know, he, for me, he he won despite things not going as smoothly as they should have done, and uh, I think that marks him out to be a good horse. Dale, your thoughts on the stewards' decision? Well, you know, I've, I've said all along, one thing I disagree with on the history rules is this crop rule. You know, they're hitting them with a piece of star foam anymore. It's not like the old days with a leather and a piece of a rod. It's, uh, it's not a painful issue. And it, it's pretty ridiculous, really. One strike over. The guy rides in Europe all the time. He's not here. Seemed like an awful hefty find to me, even though it was only 10% of what he won in that race. It's just... Uh, we're getting to the point where we might have overzealous regulations going on now and paranoia. And, and I don't know. I just think it was way too much. And I think that, uh, that finding people for a whip rule, it, it makes it sound like he abused a horse and it puts a shadow on everything that happened over the weekend. Tim, you know, I've talked about this before, you know, in the heat of the battle or the race, and you got a and Ryan was in that uh, really tight spot to get through, and he's got to put in his head how many times have I hit the horse? I hit him once. Have I hit him five times? Have I hit him four times? I think it's a, a I think that's a rule that could ultimately 
be detrimental to the safety because you're thinking about how many times you whip the ho- hit the horse, and maybe you're not thinking about what you're doing out there. Um, and twenty thousand dollars, man. I mean, that's just ridiculous. I th- that's just uh, I-, I cannot figure out why they decided to find him twenty thousand dollars when he went one over the uh, the stick the stick regulation. I th- I, th- I was befuddled by that one. The fine. Dale, you have talked about that six-strike limit, too. Dale, you brought this up multiple times over the past several weeks on the program. You know, from my standpoint, the extra strike that Ryan Moore had given to Auguste Rodin, and as Dale pointed out, these whips are very, very soft and very kind on the horses now. That extra strike, you, you get into this area of a safety issue, too, because the extra strike could have been the one that kept Auguste Rodin off the rail or whatever the case might have been. So you start talking about that area and saying, okay, what number of strikes is safe for the human athlete aboard the horse? And I I think that's where a lot of people are having a problem with this. Yeah, and a lot of it has to do with they've got so much to think about. They top out at 40 miles an hour in these races, and he's going through a tight hole. I mean, that could be a life-or-death situation. He wants to get through there as quickly as he can. All he's doing is giving the horse a cue that we need to get through here. And, and what about the gamblers? I mean, what if a guy hits a horse, miscounts and hits him five times and gets beat in nose because he thinks he hits six? There's just too much for him to think about, and I think it really needs to be looked at. Now, I, I firmly disagree with a guy hitting a horse 30 times from the quarter pole of the wire and, and, and really getting after him too much. But to think that they have to sit there and think one, two, three, when all they, they've got to, to measure pace, they have to look for holes, they're riding with their toes only in the irons, and balancing themselves and going topping out at 40 miles an hour a foot apart and we're wanting to sit there and think about how many times they strike a horse that's a huge difference in the abuse of the crop when a guy's hitting the horse 30 times and and trying to get him to go it's just it's ridiculous i think that thing needs to be looked at you know lisa's my good friend and that's the one big issue that we disagree on wholeheartedly and i think it needs to be looked at i think that we do the the industry a disservice every time we find a jockey for abusing a horse when he hits a horse with a piece of star foam an extra time. Uh, it really does need to be looked at. Yeah, it was a ride that was also praised by champion trainer. Um, it, it was just incredible. It was just a ride that was praised all around and not meant to be. Aiden O'Brien said it was fantastic, um, and uh, he, he pays the price of $20,800 for going one strike over the limit, does Ryan Moore. All right, earlier in the day, four-time Eclipse champion jockey Erod Ortiz Jr. tallied the first of his three Breeders' Cup races with his winning ride aboard Goodnight Olive in the Philly and Mare Sprint. Larry Colmus has the stretch call of Goodnight Olive. Goodnight Olive has taken the lead from society as they arrive at the top of the stretch. Ida's third of the inside, you carry his fourth, then clearly unhinged and three witches. They're into the stretch, and Aaron Ortiz Jr. says, let's go to Goodnight Olive, and they are opening up with every stride. Yukiri has moved up into second on the outside, running a big one at a good price, but there's no doubt about the winner. Goodnight Olive is a champion again. The one thing you can't see, because this, of course, is radio, and it's all audio, was Goodnight Olive taking the lead, coming to the top of the stretch. And as she did, she veered in on Society, who had to check and steady briefly there for a moment. Irod was subsequently handed a three-day suspension for careless riding because of that incident, even in the victory. 
even though no disqualification of Goodnight Olive occurred. Tim, is that penalty justified? You know, well, with I read Ortiz's, uh, for what, you know, he's, he's sort of becoming the bad boy of racing, of jockeys. I mean, this is his at least third suspension this year for careless riding. And, you know, he did come over on society a little bit. There's no doubt about that. That's a that's a patented move by Irad. He's done it more than once. Some people would say he's uh, teetering on the, the line of dangerous race riding and that something bad's going to happen someday. That's Irad's way of riding. And if he if if the, if the stewards did not take any action on it um, during the race, and then Tyler Gaffleone on society did did not claim foul. I, I I don't understand why they, they there was a disqual there was a uh, suspension handed out. Um, I don't agree with this this penalty because society was not going to win the race, and Goodnight Olive went on and won very impressively. Um, I would tell Irad Ortiz maybe you should. Relax a little bit on that move when you go in all the time, but I, I, I don't think this one was warranted. Yeah, and I think there's a bigger question here. It's what is the rule? And I've been in the game my whole life, and it seems like everywhere you go, we want to talk about consistent rules, but everywhere we go, there's, uh, you know, is it is it the fact that a horse went? Excuse me, one second. Uh, is it the fact that a horse? interfered with another horse or is it someone's job in the stand to decide whether or not it costs the horse a placing and if you go to one jurisdiction they'll say well it doesn't matter if you were going to if the other horse was going to win or going to lose you change course and you, you bothered the other horse i don't think that was careless riding i think it was just race riding and as tim said it's, it's cordero-esque and as everybody in racing knows angel's been irad's coach since he came from puerto rico he worked worked with him a lot on becoming a great rider and i think angel's one of the best at it but I think we need we really need consistency in the steward stands across the country. We talk about consistent medication rules. We talk about whip rules. Well, we need consistent stewards to sit up there and tell us what is the rule. If you change course and impede a horse, do you come down? Or do, do you get to sit there and decide if that horse lost a placing because of what happened in the incident? I don't know which one's right, but it needs to be consistent across the board. I think this is the same with all sports, though, guys. We see this with officiating in football. We see it in basketball. A lot of the the fouls that are called and infractions that are, are called are are very subjective. And I think that we're seeing the same thing now from stewards, which are, let's face it, essentially referees in thoroughbred racing. Um, it, the subjective nature of that position makes it very, very difficult, doesn't it? It does, but if an offensive tackle holds somebody on the opposite side of the field, it's still a penalty and a touchdown comes back. Would the guy score the touchdown if he hadn't hold, held the horse or held the defender? The referees don't make those calls. And, and just figure out which is which and which is the right way to go. Are we going to be? Are we going to leave horses up because we don't think the other horse was going to win anyway all the time? Do it across the country. And if the rule is if you cause a foul, you come down no matter what, then make it that but it's it's too subjective and it seems to me that they could you know to borrow the line from the nfl they the stewards could probably drop a flag on every race that's run because there's always there's always going to be something that there's there's some incidental contact and and you know 
they could probably do it in every single race. Obviously, they don't and they shouldn't. But uh, you you tell me there's – find me one race where there's ever been where there isn't something that happened during it. Yeah, but something that needs to be looked at going forward, and as Dale pointed out, just like uniform medication rules, you know, uniform policies by stewards across the nation would certainly go a long way toward alleviating frustration on the part of horse players and horsemen alike. Guys, it is that time of the show where we say hello to our friend Nick Zito, and you tell me if the following statement is right or wrong. Yeah, right or wrong. Am I right? What do you think? Right or wrong? All right, we're going to focus on trainer Rick Dutrow. We were just talking about the classic and white of Barrio. Rick Dutrow had this to say when he met with the media following his big win in the classic. Hopefully it helps me pick up nicer horses and, 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 and more higher and quality clients and stuff, you know, because I want to be around good horses. I'm very lucky to be around him right now. I don't have a stable pack with good horses, you know, and that's really what I want. And I'm going to be striving for it. I'm going to be calling everybody tomorrow when I get done with Disneyland and say, hey, I am ready for some horses here. Can you guys send me some horses? Believe me. Well, guys, I can tell you, I absolutely believe that Rick has already been on the phone with many top owners. In the 10 years prior to his decade-long ban from racing in 2003, uh, Rick Dutrow saddled an average of 142 winners per year. And what we've seen this year, guys, man, if I were to say that Rick is going to be back to those kinds of numbers in 2024, would I be right or wrong? What do you think? Right or wrong? Dale? You're 100% right. He's a great, great horse trainer and a, a good friend of mine. And I just talked to him yesterday and, uh, He's excited about the future, as he should be. I'm going to talk about it in my closing moment, but biggest misjustice in the history of sports, what happened to Rick Dutrell. He'll be right back on top where he belongs. There's never been a question that Rick Dutrell was a talented man around horses. Um, When he got the 10-year ban, which was way too much, in my opinion, you know, he, he left the game always wanting to get back and show what he can do and he showed what he could do with White Barrio. I mean White Barrio, you know, was not at that caliber before he came to Rick's barn. I mean Staffy did what he could with the horse got on the Florida Derby with him. But I think that Rick Dutrow is going to be a major, major player because people in the industry understand and realize that this guy knows how to train a racehorse. And I just think it's a matter of time before, you know, I don't know if he's going to get get to the Pletcher, Chad Brown kind of level, but he's going to be right up there with him. And um, if you sleep on Rick Dutrow, shame on you. Yep, back after that 10-year ban, I think I mentioned his ban began in 2003. His, his streak of 142 winners per year began in 2003. And over the next 10 years, up until he was banned in 2013, Rick saddled 142 winners a year. I say he gets back to those numbers sooner rather than later, maybe even next year. We'll welcome Nick Zito back to the program for that segment again next week, but we have one more topic to get to before our parting shot. And here it is, guys. On Wednesday, Breeders' Cup announced Delmar as the venue for the 2025 edition of the World Championships, marking the third consecutive year the Breeders' Cup is going to be contested 
in California and the 10th time in the past 15 years that the event will be held in the Golden State. So, Dale Romans, your thoughts. Enough of California. It needs to get back to Churchill Downs at some point. I think this is the best venue for it. It gets the most people. It generates the most handle. And it's a big event in Kentucky, unlike it is in California. You can go five, a mile outside the gate in California. Nobody knows it's there. I love Santa Anita. I love Del Mar. Let's get it back to Churchill Downs. I don't know what the problem is or friction between Breeders' Cup and, and Churchill, but the people deserve for it to be right here every once in a while. You know, I know that the weather is great in California. And I know that it looks good on NBC when they have the sunshine and the beautiful 80-degree weather. But, you know, it's it's not like it's uh, Siberia in Kentucky in November. I mean, there's been, you know, I'm, the last couple times it's been in Kentucky, there's been days when it's been in the 70s. I mean, uh, Keeneland has had good days there, there's there's the misconception that oh if you have it uh, in kentucky or new york or it's going to be it's going to snow it's going to rain it's going to be bad weather and the only time it's really been really lousy weather for the breeders cup was at monmouth in 2007 when and they did a good job promoting it but they just got no luck with the weather because it was two really rotten days i think that, that it should move around even though i love going to california and, and being in the warm weather and, you know, the, there's something about having racing's biggest days in the shadows of the Twin Spires or even Keeneland because, you know, Kentucky is horse racing country, and that's where the Breeders' Cup should have on their rotation. I, uh, I was kind of surprised when they announced it was going to go back-to-back at Del Mar. And, you know, I think it's, 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 a, it's a chore for some people to get out there to do that, to get to the races, give them a chance to get to Kentucky. It's a, lot, it's a lot easier for a lot of folks to do that. So, yeah, I, I, I think it should move around. Yeah, Timmy, you know, the weather's a factor, but even on a cold day in, in Kentucky, or a, I think the greatest Breeders' Cup in history was 1988, and one of the greatest finishes was Ali Sheba thundering down a lane with snow flurries, and it was getting dark, and it just added to it, it seemed like. It didn't take away from the Breeders' Cup, and we need to be back here where the Derby's run and the biggest venue they just put 300 million into the place and it's it's it can handle it and it's better than anybody let me throw this one at you the other five years in the past 15 that the breeders cup has not been held in california it has been held at either keeneland or churchill downs there has been no other venue other than kentucky and california the vision for the breeders cup when john Gaines created the concept back in 1984 was to take the breeders cup all over the country and showcase it and we've seen it throughout north america having gone to woodbine too does the Breeders' Cup need to expand beyond just the Bluegrass State and the Golden State? I think New York's in the rotation. It'll be coming up as soon as Belmont's finished. And, yeah, I should travel around. But, I mean, it's a luxury problem, too, though. There's not many places that can handle a crowd and what it's grown into be and what it's turned into. But uh, I think you got to work New York in there, too, when Belmont's finished. I'm sure New York will be in, in the equation. But other than New York, Keeneland, uh, I mean, Kentucky, I mean, New York, Kentucky, California. I mean, Florida's really out because Gulfstream can't accommodate uh, that kind of crowd anymore, and it's not going to go to Pimlico. Um, I just think that uh, those three locales are probably the ones where it should rotate in and out of. All right, guys, quick update on 
the showdown two, which concluded with Breeders' Cup Saturday. I don't think there's. We don't have to do this. We don't. Yeah, there, do there's this. there's not much doubt as to who the winner was going to be. <laughs> it is indeed our very own Dale Romans and Team Victory, who was victorious in the showdown two. Romans revenge. Dale got his revenge over Michael Riley's Aqueduct All Stars. Our listener, who was valiant in defeat. Ended up with 57 points, but couldn't match strides with Dale's record. 84 points here in the showdown. And Tim Wilkin lost in the fog, appropriately named for this year's contest because Timmy ends up in third place with 26 points. But, Dale, congratulations, my friend. The stage is yours. Now, thank you very much. I want to congratulate Michael on a hard, hard fight. That's But that's sort of like an amateur playing in the, in the Masters. And, uh, Timmy, shame shame it was simply awful and uh i do you know i thought about retiring after this victory but i think i'm coming back to fight another fight there's a rubber match coming the showdown three the rubber match we've argued about horse of the year but we can't argue about handicapper of the year i won that race like secretary (laughs) went in the belmont a brilliant well, performance. Go. But, Dale, I remember when we did the draft, nobody had heard of Nordic Light and Doorknock. We were all questioning who those horses were. They equated for 32 of your 84 points. So, great call. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. And I want to thank my friends that gave me those two horses to add onto my list. You know, I do have a little bit of an advantage talking to all my trainer friends every day. As our producer, Lee, said, I hope some people out there bet on all these horses because they all, they all would have made money. Well, we'll bring Dale, back the, the showdown. Keeps on giving. The showdown three, the rubber match, we'll bring that back uh, sometime in the spring, maybe leading into the Triple Crown races would be fantastic. Guys, we have just a little bit of time left here in the program for each of you to wrap up the program as we do every week by making one final point. Timmy, what is your final point of the week? You know, I want to give a shout-out to the Dorman family. Uh, everyone knows that the day after Cody's wish – won the uh the mile the dirt dirt mile young cody dorman who the horse was named for passed away on his way home it was almost like cody dorman realized his work was done here because cody's wish was done racing and he could go home it's, I, I got to spend some time with that family at santa anita they're wonderful people and my heart just goes out to them in, in this tough time in their lives well said, Timmy. Well said. There's nobody in sports that, that didn't think that that was a great story, and it, and it helped our business. And it, 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 I mean, sorry that about the young man passing away. That was awful. But he did a lot for racing. I want to thank him. But my final moment, I want to talk about Rick Dutchel for a minute. The biggest misjustice ever done in sports was Rick Dutchel getting a 10-year suspension. What people don't talk about, they keep talking about he got 10 years, he got 10 years. I talked to him yesterday, I called, I just refreshed my memory on what your original suspension was. His original suspension for that infraction he got in trouble for, and that's a questionable infraction, by the way, that's a long story, was 45 days. And just because he appealed it, if Rick Dutchel had never appealed his suspension of 45 days, he would have done 45 and been right back and probably won three derbies in that 10-year span. But they took it from 45 days to 10 years. So just imagine getting arrested for petty theft and then getting convicted for murder after you appealed your petty theft conviction. And it's a shame because there's no telling what Rick would have done in this game. He may have broken every record out there, and he may still. But that's a, that's 
a an, an example of an overzealous regulator that just had it out for Rick. And all I want to say, Rick, is congratulations on your victory. But more importantly, congratulations on being back. And he who laughs, laughs, laughs the loudest. Congratulations, my friend. All right. If you have a topic you want to hear, Dale and Tim debate, email that topic to me, Mike at horseracingradio.net, and I'll do my best to get it worked in in the weeks ahead. Dale, Tim, enjoyed it. Enjoy the weekend, guys. Thank you, too, Mike. Mike. All right, we will do it all over again next week. I Ask, They Answer is presented by the University of Louisville Equine Industry Program and the College of Business. I'm back with more. This is the Equine Forum on the Horse Racing Radio Network. Hi, Tony. Hey, Matthew. There's a reason why Tony's Steaks and Seafood is my favorite restaurant. It's because I want to feel part of the family. Isn't that right, Tony? That's right. There's a saying on the wall that I truly believe in. There's always room for one more at our table. We just want you to be part of our family. And believe me, you will be. It's Tony's Steaks and Seafood right across from Triangle Park. Visit them at TonySteaksAndSeafood.com. Trainer Talk, presented by Phasing Tipton. Please join me in welcoming Hall of Fame trainer Todd Fletcher. Hall of Fame trainer Nick Zito on Trainer Talk. Welcome Hall of Famer Bob Baffert to the program. Hall of Fame trainer Shug McGahee, nice enough to spend some time with us. Hall of Fame trainer Bill Mott here on Trainer Talk. Dual Hall of Fame trainer Mark Cassie. Trainer Talk, the biggest names in horse racing. Wednesdays, 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern. Sirius 162, XM 207, and streaming live at horseracingradio.net. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. Well, the January issue of Blood Horse features 170-plus pages. You can go to bloodhorse.com slash HRRN to download your copy and sign up today. Well, my thanks to all of our guests who have made this show possible looking back on the best of 2023 my thanks to every guest who has taken time to join us throughout the year and to all of you for tuning in on this christmas edition of the program my thanks to my producer lee delapina in our lexington studio and to chauncey for handling all of our social media i'm back next week hey go steelers rudolph is starting at quarterback we can't lose <laughs>